Hey, After Buzzers, before we move on to your next topic, we just want to say thanks to our sponsor, Anchor. If you haven't heard about Anchor, it's the easiest way to make a podcast. Let me explain. It's free. Plus, there are creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. Also, Anchor will distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many more. Plus, you can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership, and it's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. Download the free Anchor app or go to Anchor FM to get started. The Jericho Network on Westwood One. You look to your friends. There's only a couple guys in the whole world that make me love pro wrestling, and you're one of them. You know all the bad shit you've heard about us? It's all true. But another thing that's true is we love professional wrestling, and that's why we're here. I'm not sports entertainment anymore. Talk to them, kid. This is our new beginning, and it starts tonight. A new day is dawning for DX. Hello, Xbox 12360 fans. We're coming at you with the first episode of 2017. We are so glad to be back. We're refreshed. We got a big show for you. We're going to be talking about some news headlines from the last couple of weeks. And we have a big interview with special guest Al Snow. We are so excited that you joined us today. Thank you. My name is Christy Olson. The gang's all here. We got Jimbo on the couch. What's Hello, up? everybody. Welcome to 2017. Yeah. And Mark in the booth. Happy New Year. Happy New Year, everybody. Thank you so much. And of course, the reason why you all tuned in, he's here. Sean X-Pac Waltman. Hey, Sean. Hey there. How you Happy doing? Happy New Year, everyone. Thank it's- you. So good to be back, and it felt really weird to skip a week. <laughs> Super weird. Yeah, yeah. But that's you know we got to take we got to take some time and have a little vacation, spend time with the family, and let everybody else here do the same. Yeah, so, yeah. And I think some of us did a little bit of that, right? Yes, especially me. My beautiful daughter came to visit, and I just sent her home yesterday, and it was amazing. I just had the best best time and I, I just enjoyed every single minute of it. It was so cool. Oh, I yeah. know you've been looking forward to it, so I'm glad you guys have fun. Yeah, I'm sorry y'all didn't get a chance to meet her. So, so am I. But she had a great time. She saw some pretty crazy things while she was Oh, there. yeah? <laughs> yeah. Uh, what, what kind what of stuff? What did you expose your daughter to, X-Pac? Uh, all good stuff. All some good Hollywood? Stuff. Yep, a lot of Hollywood stuff. But uh, does she get into that, like the celebs and the? Well, who doesn't a little bit if you've right. never, never been around it? So it was cool. Yeah, I, I, I we can talk more about it in a little bit. But um, I, first of all, we went and had uh, Christmas dinner at Maria and Kevin's. Oh, yeah, that was nice. And then Maria uh, Menounos and yeah, Kevin Undergaro. Exactly. Right? Yes, uh, and then we left there and went from that type of uh, Christmas. To the Rainbow Bar and Grill on Sunset. <laughs> and had, to your type of Christmas. Yeah, and had Christmas dinner again with Glenn Danzig from Danzig wow. and the Misfits, okay. along with some real Misfits. <laughs> yeah, like legit punk rock people from, you know, all walks of life. Wow. Just the, the opposite end of the spectrum from the Menounos household in Christmas. <laughs> so it was very cool. Very cool. And... Uh, 
And then uh, Sebastian Bach from uh, Skid Row fame. Yeah. His his wife Susan, beautiful Susan. She it was her birthday, so we celebrated that right after Christmas at the Rainbow. Of course, <laughs> naturally. And then um, uh, New Year's Eve, uh, my daughter and I celebrated at the Rainbow, the Rainbow. <laughs> with Glenn Danzig, bunch of people. Then we went to uh, we went to this place called the Monty Bar in Ooh. downtown, and there was this. Cr- uh, um, Jesse Hughes from Eagles of Death Metal. You know who they are? No. They, well, you should because okay. that was the band that was playing at the Bataclan nightclub in Paris when the uh, oh, terrorist attack happened. Wow. Yeah, so I spent New Year's Eve with him. Uh, uh, guy from the Nine Inch Nails. Uh, Trent Reznor? No, but his guitar player. Okay. Uh, guys from. Uh, they used to be called Bajas, and uh, it's industrial, like Nine Inch Nails type mm-hmm. of stuff. Uh, Bajas, and then they were called Love and Rockets. Um, anyways, they're huge, huge in that industrial punk goth scene. And so, and uh, my daughter got to see some pretty crazy stuff that <laughs> night. <laughs> yeah, oh, I, I can't imagine New Year's at the Rainbow. Thinking about you as a dad. Oh, the Rainbow was tame. It was really we went to the yeah the goth punk place. Oh wow! Afterwards. That was insane. Would there ever be anything that you'd be like, okay, Caitlin, let's let's get out of here. You don't need to see this. Um, the only thing that w- that I got uncomfortable around my uh, having my daughter in the same room with is we were watching episodes of Shameless. <laughs> Jeez, shit. The British version or the U.S. version? No, the U.S. version. Wow. With uh, William H. Macy. Yeah. I, is there every episode uh, has two or three sex scenes in it? Like probably, like graphic. Uh, sex that's scenes? what does it. Come on, yeah, understandable. So it's just <laughs> any, a little weird, you know, your daughter. Just a little, weird. <laughs> yeah. Any uncomfortable family situations in the Jimbo household? Not really any uncomfortable family situations. But last week when we were off, it was uh, December twenty eighth. Yeah. So I took the time to call Lanny Poffo and wish him a happy birthday. Oh, very cool! Oh, hey. He was so excited, and very not only cool. was he like super excited, but we talked for like twenty minutes, and he told me that what about the grandbaby. No, he didn't tell me about the grandbaby, but he told me that he's trying out for America's Got Talent this season. And he performed his poem that he is going to read on the show for me to get my critique. It was amazing. You got like a sneak peek. I did. And I gave him my like, oh, I would add this person in and maybe like try and do this a little different. But I really loved it. And he was so awesome. He is awesome. Yeah, it was so cool. He is. It made my day. Oh, that's sweet. Very cool, Jimbo. Yeah, Lanny, I wrote on his Facebook wall. He was the first person to write on my Facebook wall for my birthday, so I had to return the favor. He's so sweet. He was funny, too. He's like, how old are you? I was like, 31. He's like, you know, like, you're half of my age. (laughs) Like, I just turned 62 today. And I'm like, cool. And he's in like 10 times better shape than you. Yeah, definitely. You should feel really bad about yourself. (laughs) It's all those donuts. He's in way better shape than I am, too, Jumbo, so don't feel too bad. Uh, how was your holiday, Christy? Yeah. It was fine. It was uneventful. I didn't do a whole lot. I, you know, FaceTimed with the parents and open presents that they sent mm. on Christmas. That was about it. Sat on my butt and watched TV, That's, as promised. I didn't talk to anyone on the phone the whole time. That was incredible. Wow. <laughs> you love that. <laughs> I did take a, I did take I a bit it. of a break from my personal social media, and that felt really good. Yeah. It's like, who cares? Yeah. Now I don't yeah. want to go back. Oh, you know what else we did? <laughs> uh 
WWE holiday tour came through. LA. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. They were at the Center, Center, Center on, on the 30th. 30th. Was it Friday or Saturday? Yeah, Friday the 30th. That's right. And uh, what a show. Yeah? Yeah. Okay. There, I bet you there was about 10, there was over 10,000 people there, and which is a hell, of a hell of a crowd for... Especially at a holiday weekend. Yes. People are out of town. So, now they had the top... Section curtained off, mm-hmm. just so you wouldn't see a bunch of you know. They didn't well, need Staples is huge, huge, like twenty thousand seats, yeah. something along those lines. It was all the the seats that were above the corporate box seats mm-hmm. that were that were uh, curtained off. Anyways, uh, Kevin Owen and um, Roman Reigns. and Roman Reigns, they closed the show with the hell of a L.A. street fight. Oh wow! Yes, oh. Uh, Roman speared. Uh, Kevin threw a table that was set up in the corner for the finish and I mean he drove his ass through the table like, I was legit worried that he really? yeah got a concussion or something but oh man yeah great match uh, they it was, a, it was a good show they had uh, they had like a I'm pretty sure it was a four way tag match with New Day Enzo and Cass oh shit Cesaro and Sheamus Cesaro and Sheamus and um, one other Tag team. I'm, I'm sorry, fellas, for forgetting the other tag oh, I team. I saw that picture. Anyways, they had a hell of a match. It was just really good, solid matches without um, doing anything doing anything stupid right before TVs. Okay, you see, know? that's what I was going to ask you about. Because coming from that world, knowing that, you don't hold out at a live show? You what do you mean you hold out like like that's what you hear I think that you hear a lot of people saying like oh I don't want to go to a live show I only want to go to TV because what am I going to see at a live show you're going to see as if someone's gonna not going to put themselves out there just okay, because it's a live show yeah you might not see somebody doing a triple Lindy off the top rope to the floor through a table on a live event but you're going to see them actually working a match and mm-hmm. listening to the people and uh, and honing their craft and not be told okay you have ten minutes to get everything in including entrances. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So that's what you're going to get at a live event. That you're not going to get at TV. Live shows are some of my favorite because you get you get to see people experiment. Yes. Like um, Miz and Jey Uso had a dance-off uh, oh. at the last live show I was at. Um, I got to see Luke Harper versus uh, Dolph Ziggler go about 20 minutes. It's it's awesome to do live shows. Yeah, it is. Highly recommend it. Me too. And you're going to see things sometimes. They're going to do a... You know, a surprise title change on a live show, just so you go, oh, shit, I shouldn't have missed that. (laughs) Yeah. You know, and those things still happen. Mm -hmm. So, um, great, great night. You know, it was, uh, it was really cool. My daughter got, uh, oh, they had a, a, it was a a woman's tag match, too. Uh, um, Sasha... There was like a Liv Morgan. I hadn't yes, seen Liv Morgan. She made her debut on the yeah. holiday tour this year. Yes, and she was um, she had a fairly warm reception for me, not really knowing who she was. I, I feel like bad. her. She's got a lot of personality. Yeah, yeah. and uh, and so Charlotte was there. And, uh, she was involved, and uh, I know. Oh, um, uh, Lexa Bliss, I think was. Involved. Oh uh, no, no, Lexa Bliss would have been in uh, in Florida. Nia, there's Nia Jax. Nia, Nia was there. Dana Brooke. Dana Brooke. Dana Brooke. Yeah. That's, <laughs> when you Donna, made the muscles, yeah, I should have known. Yeah, when I did the double bicep, <laughs> for those of you that are listening, I did a double bicep pose and Mark Donica got it. Thank you, Mark. I, I love Pictionary. Yeah. Oh. That's a joke. Okay. I didn't even, I was like, Pictionary, what's what? that? 
Well, let's take this time to remind everybody that we are not only on YouTube, we are on iTunes as well. We would love a five-star rating, like, comment, and subscribe. And you can check out all of our past episodes there on iTunes and YouTube. Thank you for that. So what else is new, Christy? Like some news? Break it down! X-Pac 12360 Wrestling News. Yes, we have our very first inductee into the 2017 WWE Hall of Fame class. And it is none other than former Xbox 12360 guest, Diamond Dallas Page. Yes. This is going down April 1st in Orlando. Of course, they've moved the Hall of Fame uh, ceremony from Saturday to Friday night. And Good idea. Right? Hey. Wow. That way guys don't have to sit there all night and then still have to get up in the morning for a pay-per-view. Is Very that the idea? Are they not going to have an uh, NXT show then? I don't know. The NXT show is now Saturday night. Is, correct me if I'm wrong, Mark. Uh, that is correct. That's, a better That's idea. cool. That's yeah. a way better Much idea. Much better idea. Definitely yes. agree with that. Because, okay, you'll see guys, out of respect, sitting there all freaking night through every speech. Okay, Stone Cold sits there. He's one that, you, if you look at uh, the Hall of Fame, mm-hmm. that guy sits there for every single speech all the way to the end. And that's not easy to do. Sure. Okay? But then you have the guys that actually have to get up and have a call time of noon or even earlier the next morning uh, and have to be there all day and have the match of their life that night. And they're sitting there all night. Mm-hmm. And guys are told... Okay, by Vince McMahon, go out there, and this is what he tells them. Go out there, talk as long as you want. This might be the last time you have. And I'm like, oh, don't tell them that, Vince. They're going to do it. You know? And then you have guys like Mr. T and guys like that that go out and they actually do it. Yeah. You know? Uh, So you end up with a very long night with a lot of really tired guys that don't want to disrespect the Hall of Fame. Do you think they should put, like, a time limit on speeches because it seems i went to one hall of fame it was the macho man's hall of fame yeah. and it seems mm-hmm. like the earlier presenters get all the time they want and then when they realize they're running out of time they start cutting the later presenters which are the people really like yes. i really wanted to hear what kevin nash had to say i really wanted to hear what lanny had to say about hogan but by the end of the show they were just like okay here's the rap. thing about gotta that rap. though Mm-hmm. No, here's the thing. Regardless, that uh, a Kevin Nash speech is not going to be a marathon speech because he gets it. People don't want to sit there for a marathon speech. Get, I mean, for the most part, right? You know, unless a guy is just the greatest speech giver of all time. You know, uh, is that the right way of saying it? Anyways, it is now. Greatest orator of all time. There you go. So it's <laughs> a big word. Then you know, uh, okay, I can. Okay, a Dusty Rhodes speech can go a half an hour, and you're going to be like and captivated the whole time. Mm-hmm. But other than that, you know, Kevin gets it. Mm-hmm. You know, and uh, Scott Hall gets it, and that's why theirs were short because they've been the ones like like I have that having have to sit, been sitting in the crowd. Yeah. Well, if I could suggest one more little change, may I please ask that the inductees actually get to walk the red carpet so that we they can interview do them. Yeah. What is up with that? I don't know. It's the weirdest thing to, to go to an event in a red carpet that's meant to promote and honor these people, and then they're not even there giving interviews. That's crazy. You don't even, you don't even get to yeah. talk to them. And even if it's a time thing of like, oh, well, we need them backstage to prepare to give their own speeches, do their red carpet earlier. Yeah, do. You know? Yeah. And, and then let everyone else walk the red carpet. So, uh, back to... Dally. 
Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Congratulations, DDP. <laughs> that was, our, that was yes. our major tidbit there. Yes. So uh, I just found out, you know, uh, late last night. It, it was I rumored and then it kind of broke officially. Yeah, and I so happy and i mean to the point where i was in tears for about 20 minutes wow yeah who do you think introducts him jake i don't the snake, know possibly jake, sure why not because he did jake and yeah jake will do of him. course mm-hmm. and uh but it could be a lot of people because he's well, he's working with vader right now so yeah Maybe. uh so dallas at, i mean anybody that okay let me just say this i said this in my tweet last night when I found out Hall of Fame career and Hall of Fame human being. Bottom line. Couldn't be happier for anybody. Th- love you, Dallas. You keep putting it so poetically, they'll have you inducting him. Yeah. <laughs> yeah <right. laughs> Was that your audition, Sean? No. That's just how I feel. Well, let's move on to a little bit more WrestleMania news. <laughs> This one regarding WrestleMania 34. So we're already looking ahead to the next one, which Pro Wrestling Sheet broke this exclusively. They said they have learned that the location of WrestleMania 34 is that Mania is going back to New Orleans. Yes, it was just there for WrestleMania 30 in 2014. That's where Daniel Bryan had his big memorable heavyweight title win and where the Undertaker Undertaker streak ended. So we're going to head back there next year to make some new memories. No word on when they'll be making this official, but Monday Night Raw next week is in New Orleans. This is January 9th. And Shawn Michaels and Undertaker are advertised for that show. So maybe that would be a great time to make an announcement. Don't be surprised. Maybe. Okay. Next story. <laughs> no. Sean's right, not too right. excited to go back to, Orla- to New Orleans. Well, we were just there. Okay. Well, we, just come right. on. There's other. And okay, but here's the situation. Uh, WrestleMania is a huge boon for any uh, city that that definitely. Yeah, millions, hundreds of millions of dollars come into that city mm-hmm. in their economy. And so there's a lot of competition for these WrestleManias now that, that used to not be the case. And, I mean, there's bidding wars going on. And so apparently New Orleans uh, came up with the best uh, package, <laughs> financial package. So, I mean, that's how that goes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think last year they made like over $170 million, Dallas did that's or right. something. It's crazy. It's yeah. unbelievable. So, okay, congratulations, New Orleans. Exactly. Exactly. Well, let's move on to a, a little bit of New Japan news. <laughs> this one is big. People are very excited. New Japan Pro Wrestling have announced their first ever self-produced tour dates in the United States. Now, these aren't going to be these makeshift shows that maybe we've seen in the past that people are suspicious about. These are actual official New Japan pro wrestling shows. They're calling it the G1 Special. It'll go down in L.A. right here in Los Angeles, rumored to be about Long Beach area, July 1st and 2nd. And this is not uh, set in stone, but there's rumors that there will be qualifying matches for American wrestlers at these shows and that those who qualify We'll go on to compete at the G1 Climax, which is in Japan on the 27th of July. So that was announced today at Wrestle Kingdom 11 from the Tokyo Dome, which also reportedly oh, that's was right. an epic January show. January 4th. 
Yeah, every mm-hmm. year, January 4th, today is, is uh, Wrestle Kingdom Day. Yeah. Tokyo Dome. Yeah, That's right. it went down, and now they're coming to L.A. What do you think uh, about that? Well, I think as long as it's, like you just said, a standalone show with a New Japan ring, not an independent ring with... Uh, New some... Japan buckles. No, we <laughs> need the real skirt. deal. And, um, New Japan ring announcer that announces in Japanese. Mm-hmm. Uh it has to the look has to be authentic. You can't half ass this new Japan. Okay? Because just like when WWE comes to Japan, mm-hmm. the Japanese people want to see WWE production. They want it to be like they see on television. The ring is this is WWE ring over there. Mm-hmm. The announcer is WWE, is WWE announcer and they learn from early tours they did. Mm-hmm. Where they uh, partnered with, you know, uh, SWS or WAR, which was um, which was Tenaru's company, and had a working relationship with WWE at one time. Okay. So um, yeah, it has to have that look. It's just not going to work. Mm-hmm. That's what the people expect. Like yes, yeah. But other than that, really cool to hear that that's happening because I'm a huge. Japanese wrestling fan. Yeah, we, dude, we don't have to go anywhere. It's coming right. to us. That's right. And us. there's a huge <laughs> Japanese population here, so it, it's mm-hmm. just it makes a lot of sense. That's Very cool. cool. That's cool. Put in your calendars, boys. Definitely did. Uh, well, we've kind of covered the gauntlet today, so let's talk about what's going on in the UFC. <laughs> Longtime WWE commentator and former ESPN anchor Todd Grisham has joined the UFC's broadcast team. This is official. He tweeted it himself. He's going to do play-by-play exclusively on Fox Sports 1. And uh, But this is uh, rumored to be a short deal, a spanning uh, four FS1 events. He's an avid combat sports fan. He's worked for Glory Kickboxing and ESPN's Friday Night Fights. So this comes as no surprise, but we do know him, of course, from the eight years he spent with the WWE, where he did play-by-play for Heat and ECW, SmackDown, and NXT. So Fight congratulations this. to Todd Grisham. Yes. Yeah, congratulations, Todd. I, I'm wondering, uh, you know, I don't think it's a coincidence that Mike Goldberg is leaving as he's coming in. That's right. And there were rumors, actually, that Jim Rome may be replacing him, but now it looks like Grisham will be there for at least four shows. At least four. And, and I imagine if things work out well, that'll be more than four shows. Think it's a tryout? Sure, sure. Um, okay, good for Todd, and hopefully, uh, well, not hopefully. Mike Goldberg's amazing, and he'll end up uh, wherever he wants to, basically. And that very well may be d- 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 easy for me to say. <laughs> very well may be the WWE. There, I spit it out. You just think he belongs <laughs> there, or has there? I don't you think, think he, been I think he belongs wherever he wants. To wants to be uh that's how good he is and mm-hmm. i know that there was talk of, i think wwe made some overtures towards him uh at one point a few years back they've courted him yeah Sex. so it's not like that's not <laughs> ever been on the table mm-hmm. is he a wrestling fan sure okay yeah yeah and i know like there was back and forth it was when jim ross was mm-hmm. you know was uh put out to pasture mm-hmm. <laughs> okay. hate to put it that way yeah well but. he did so, yeah, I already, I just did. Can't take that back. <laughs> I just worry right. when, like, because I don't know how big of a fan Todd is of UFC mm-hmm. and if he knows the history and is going to be easy to talk about. Uh, he's an avid avid of. combat sports fan and he, glory kickboxing, glory hole kickboxing. 
<laughs> oh, see, that's different from what I have here. I think they would really want to get like Mauro, Mauro Ronaldo though, because he has the pedigree, and you know he knows how of to call course, fights. But he ain't going nowhere. I guess not. Okay, cool. That's congratulations awesome. UFC and congratulations Todd Grisham. Absolutely, and this has been your Xbox One Two Three Sixty News of the Week with Christy Olson, your managing editor and chief correspondent of AfterBuzz TV's Pro Wrestling News Division, and we will return with the one and only Al Snow. Stay tuned. What's up, party people? Roxy Stryer here from The Tomorrow Show with Kevin Undergaro. We're your twice-weekly broadcast of one man's midlife crisis and the mad millennials in Star Trek uniforms that follow him. And I'm one of those millennials, Lauren Legrasso here. We've had some amazing guests like Russell Simmons, Ileana Douglas, and Craig Gass. Coolio, right? Christian Blatt in the house to tell you to go to thetomorrowshow.com to check us out. We're live every Monday and Thursday from 10 to midnight Eastern. That's thetomorrowshow.com. Be there, be square, whatever that means. We are back with more X-Pop 12360. Let me tell you about the man who's joining us now. Before hitting the big time, he was regarded as the best kept secret in wrestling. Then a unique gimmick helped him get ahead at ECW. See what I did there? This six-time hardcore champion is so extreme, he once put himself through a table. Also well-trained in martial arts and grappling, he's coached the next generation of superstars on Tough Enough and at the Al Snow Wrestling Academy. Known outside the ring for his quick wit and unique wristwatch collection, welcome to Xbox 12360, Al Snow! Yeah! yeah. Right. Thank you guys very yeah. much. I appreciate you having me on. No, thank you, Al. I appreciate you coming on. I I had I had Bob Holly on a couple. We had Bob Holly on a couple weeks back, and well, it's been about a month now. Yeah. Regardless, I saw both of you at uh, Wildcat Sports Show in uh, at, down in New Orleans area, and yeah, um, you guys, both of you, are older than me, but you, you're in ten times better shape than I am. So <laughs> that Bob's really always in better shape me. than everyone. Oh, Bob's, come on, Bob's a machine. Don't cut yourself short right now, Al. You look the best. Better than like ninety nine percent of the guys in the business, but uh, <laughs> so and I don't. So that it really motivated me, and I thank you both for that, and also for coming on the show. Thanks. Yes, <laughs> love when a man cool. can compliment another man's physique. Cool. What's, Al, what right like these days? What what uh, what are you doing the most of? Uh, I work for still work for TNA right. as a agent or producer. And then um, I uh, I wrestle not as much as I have been in the past because I I go over to England um, to an, the academy that I opened up over there in London. Uh, I spend ten days a month over there every month. Oh, let's so talk about that. I go back and forth between the states and uh, London, and um, occasionally I'll I'll wrestle in Europe um, when the opportunity comes up while I'm over sure. there, but. When I'm there, I predominantly try to put all my attention on uh, on the uh, school as well, much as I can. Well, talk about the school a little bit right off the bat. Okay. Uh, well, we uh, um, I opened up the academy because in uh, in England, uh, I met my business partner over there. Had an opportunity to have the resources to to do what I wanted to do, which was to uh, I always feel that wrestling schools are not a gym; they're not a, a, a hobby. It's a place just like if you were to go to a college or a university. Sure. Um, you know, you're wanting to learn a skill 
um, to be able to take advantage of opportunities to pursue a career. And, and who knows, you know, Sean, you, you yourself know, who knows what you could be or what you could accomplish or how much money you could make or, you know, the, the sky's the limit, literally. When For you, sure. <laughs> if you really, truly have a passion to do it, um, you know, there's no telling. But you need to really know and understand because it's a very unique thing that, you know, you're trying to pursue. Yeah, it's really hard to compare it to just about anything. I, it's, I mean, so, people try to ask, well, compare it to something. I'm sorry, but I really can't. Yeah, you and it, it's it, it, the most valuable thing is experience. And um, so I got a bunch of, I got, you know, trainers that like Doug Williams, who's... Oh, great. Yeah. Has been, you know, and he, he, he's performed for a living for like 20 plus years. Right. I mean, he's not done something else and then done that on the side and... Uh, Joe Legend, who's you know oh, traveled yes. all over the world, yep. and uh, J- James Mason, who's a you know notable guy there in England. He's been wrestling for sure. almost twenty years too, as well, um, and doing that and nothing else for a living. Because you know, when you do it for a living, it's a whole different mindset than if you work a regular job and you do it on the weekends. It's, yeah. it's when you, you don't have to get better. A lot of times you don't. Yeah, and you yeah. and you don't you don't understand or learn certain aspects that are absolutely vital to your success in the wrestling business if you're not doing it for a living. Oh, it for sure makes complete difference. For so, sure. um, great great you know, teachers we, too. Uh, I, as a matter of fact, it's funny you say that because I was in a six man tag with both of those guys. They were my partners for uh, WAW over in in, uh, in UK. The, the Night yeah. Family Wrestling Show. <laughs> so we had a good yeah, time. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, great. Uh, anyways, uh, so how many students do you have over there? We have about 45 right now. We opened oh. up at the end of April, and we have 45 um, students at the present time. And so. have any of them had uh, matches yet? No, because I, uh, uh-huh. it was surprising um, so many of them that they had been already uh, quite a few, about 10 or 15 of them had already been wrestling for several years. And then you, you bring them in, and like I had to take them all the way back to the beginning course to teach them how to walk, how to you know, to, so they could get the timing correct. A lot of mechanical things. And that there's some they guys just aren't taught. And there's some guys, Al. I think uh, you may may agree with me that are just not. They've already had these bad habits instilled in them, and some of them just aren't going to relearn. Yeah, yeah, and it, it, it takes you have to be really patient, and that the person who's coming has to be willing and yeah. open to and understanding what it is that they're doing wrong and then how they should have to learn to do it in a different way for their benefit, you know? Well, if they were doing the things the right way, they wouldn't be needing to go to the Al Snow Wrestling Academy. <laughs> Correct. I, I agree, but you got to try and, yeah. you know, it's easy when they can just go down the road, you know, and, yeah. and, and that guy's going to put them on a show and, and, you know, they don't have to do anything. So, but so, that. That's not it. So you're not rest, you're not. I mean, I know you mentioned that you have a few matches when you go over there, but not. It's not your main reason for going over to the UK now. No, I mean, I'll I'll take bookings and stuff while I'm there. Um, because there's two hundred. There's like two hundred promotions, and they all do well over there. So there's plenty yeah. of work for you. <laughs> yeah, I just I try to folk put all my time and energy as much as I can on the school as yeah. you know when I'm there. While, while I'm there, because I want to try and spend as much time as I can with the kids that are there. Was so. this a lot of time to spend not at home? Well, what's um, it like well, for you to, to be over there for 10 days out of every month? What's that now? I'm sorry. What's it like for you to be over there for 10 days every month? 
Any thoughts uh, it, of just it, moving? It gets, it gets mentally challenging, but you know, you can ask Sean. I mean, it, that's kind of the life. I mean, yeah. you're, you're always traveling, you're always, you know, going and, you know, and it, the, the crazy thing is you get so used to it that when you get home, um, a day, a day, maybe two days into it, you start getting itchy and you're like, oh, God, I got to get out. I got to go. I got to go. Not because sure. you don't want to be home, but because you just feel like you got to constantly be. It's always a hustle. It's it never stops. It never ends. It's a tough life. I mean, it is. And, you know, everybody has the romanticized view of it. But it, to be quite honest, it's Groundhog Day. Sure. It really is. You know, it's it's get up early, uh, get to wherever you're going. Um, you know, I explain to everybody, it's like get up early, like for WWE. Um, they think, oh, you, you get to live this fantastic life and it's so cool. And it's like and it is, you, but it but. is. <laughs> but you go to bed at you go to bed at, at, at you're on the phone after you've got done working with your significant other who is upset because they haven't seen you for probably 10 or 12 days and aren't going to see you for another four or five. Um, you spend two hours on the phone with them, calming them down and getting things copacetic. You go to bed, you get up at now because of, you know, the flights and everything, you, you got to they fly out at butt crack of dawn. So yeah. you go to the airport, you stand in line to get, you know, checked in, you stand in line to go through security, you stand in line to get on the plane, which never has made any sense to me because I've been on the plane early and it's not like you get a prize or something for getting on there first. And and guess what? The plane still takes off at the same time, no matter <laughs> exactly. when you get on that son of a bitch. So why go stand in line? Exactly. It makes no sense. Well, but then you stand in line to get off the plane. You stand in line to get your bags. You stand in line to get a car. You get your car. You drive. Get your hotel. You get something to eat. You go work out. You go get something else to eat. Then you go to the building and you hang out with people who you love but are miserable for no reason because they get to do the most awesome thing that an adult person can do and get paid for yeah. which is dress up in your underwear and go fake fight other <laughs> yes. people and have like thousands and thousands of people boo and cheer you and just <laughs> yeah. yeah yeah well but part of what I a would, terrible life. <laughs> i would assume part of being a trainer is is preparing your students for that part of the life too the travel and the being away from the loved ones what lessons do you teach them about that uh, you know, you try to really instill in them how important it is to have a passion for what they do. I think, and I, I and I truly believe, and a lot of people may disagree with this, but I think the the, the motivation because we've become such a a, a society that worships celebrityism yes. that no longer do uh, the vast majority of people pursue a uh, a dream. Because they have a des an absolute burning passion to do it, whether it be an actor or a musician or an athlete or or a wrestler, they have a desire to be a celebrity. To be famous, they're yeah. more concerned, yes, about being famous, being recognized, and having somebody ask for the autograph. And to prove my point, you can go on the internet anywhere. Like just recently, I saw this idiot who was like 400 pounds and was standing out in the snow with his shirt off and had a belt of firecrackers taped to him and he set them off and basically burned himself up. I'm mean, like an idiot. Yeah. He got kind of burns, but he only did it so he could get, you know, noticed and get views on the internet and be famous for a short amount of time. So you got to really try to drive home the point that these people that come to the school, they, they've got to really want to have a passion to do this because, I'm, you know, Sean, I'm, I'm sure you you know as well as I do. How many people have we seen that had 
the height, the size, the muscularity, the charisma. They could talk. They could perform in the ring, and they failed miserably. And they're also a dime a dozen, to be honest with you, Al. A yeah, dime a yeah. freaking dozen. Yeah, and people don't yeah. think that, but they truly are. You know? Yeah. So. They really are. I mean, you can go in any gym and you can find people that fit that bill. But if they don't have the passion to live that life, yeah. you know, and, and, and Sean will tell you, I mean, it's, it, it's not because we do it and we're not putting ourselves over, but it has got to be probably the most physically and emotionally and mentally challenging thing a person could ever want to try and do other than, yeah. you know, serve in the armed forces and go into battle you know, literally living this kind of a lifestyle when you're brought up in a society that tries to teach everyone that the lifestyle is you go to work, you come home, and then you wait for the weekend, and then you wait for your two-week summer vacation, and that should make you happy, and you work to get your retirement. But we go out and do something completely different. Yeah. Al, Al, talk about uh, the difference between now and when you you – first broke in, and you went to, uh, like, a, a, a tryout camp from Ole and Gene Anderson, right? Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, well, the the biggest difference is, is, and I believe that it's led to the degradation of the business, of, of professional wrestling, is that there's it's far too easy to become a professional wrestler. Yeah. The access is, is it, it's an open-door policy now. Mm-hmm. And uh, back in the day, um, and I tried to explain this to people before, and they just can't relate. It was easier to become a made man in the mafia than it was to become a professional wrestler. And people think um, that's a silly thing to say, but it's not. If you know anything, if you know wrestling, you know that's not a silly thing to say. It was a very closed, and the reason was that the ninety-eight percent of the professional wrestlers at that time. The only thing they did to make a living, the only way that they survived, the only way they fed their families was wrestling. It was, they didn't have another job. And you'll, I know you'll agree, the guys that were in back then, like they were probably, they're probably the most intelligent, most uh, creative, uh, and classy. I mean, because yes. they could have a conversation with you, the president, and then literally walk out on the street and talk to a person who didn't have a pot to piss in and not make either one feel any different, you know? Yeah. But they didn't fit in normal society. Like, if they weren't doing professional wrestling, you, you just didn't, they were too eclectic. You didn't see where they were going to fit in any other way. And they, they were held responsible for whoever they brought into the business. The guy that trained me, I'm 53. I've been doing this going on 35 years now. The guy that trained me, I'm still his kid. Yeah. Like, older guys still... Well, like if somebody hears this interview, they'll call him and go, hey, I heard your kid on and he said, blah, blah, blah. And I'll get a phone call from him saying, hey, uh, so-and-so called me and uh, what were you talking about? And and I'll have to explain because I'm still, he's still responsible for me to other people for what I do in this, in this business, in the sport of professional wrestling, because he trained me and that's gone away. That being held accountable for who you train and who you bring into the business has stopped. And, there's, and I, and that's the biggest thing that I think has changed. And there's just, there's so many people now that call you? themselves. Freeze up. Hello. I'll freeze up too. We got them. We hear, we hear you though. Yeah. Can you hear me? Al? Oh, there you are. Oh, there you are. We got it. But, I can hear you. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry yeah. about that. Anyways, we got it. 
the thing is, there's so many people that call themselves pro wrestling trainers now, too. And they don't really vet the people that they train. I mean, they'll take anybody off the street that'll pay them $20 a week. And yeah. uh, they won't run them off uh, by by making them work and do the you know no. do the work. So that's no. how we end up with a glut of uh, what I call cosplayers. Basically, they're glorified cosplayers. Yeah. They don't yeah. really they, have. They're not wrestlers. No. When I when I tried out for um, because what I did was when I was uh, sixteen, I started you know I would go get the magazines, the the after magazines, and I would find out where the wrestling promotions were, what cities, you know, like Vern Gagne was in, you know, Minneapolis and, you know, the Crockett's were in Charlotte. And then I would go to, we didn't have the internet, of course. So in 1980, you know, 1979. Yeah. So I would go to the local library and I would pull out phone books for those particular cities. And I would go through and I would find the phone number for them. I'd write them down and I would call wow. repeatedly, call over and over again, trying to beg somebody to train me. And then finally, I got a hold of Gene Anderson in Charlotte one day, completely by accident. He happened to be in the office, answered the phone. And he and Ole were having a tryout in October of that year. And he's like, oh, come on down. So, you know, I show up, me and like, there was maybe 50 guys show up, various sizes, all different shapes. Yeah. And uh, you remember the old Charlotte Coliseum when you went out back? Yes. The first thing he did, they did, was take us out back. And uh, make us run the parking lot. And that was, you know, you you went across, you went up a hill, then yeah. you went kind of up another little bit of a hill at the back of the parking lot, and then you went down. I always remember that because they made us run five miles. That was just the start. Now, they, you know, by the time you run five miles, well, we went from 50 to down to about 30, 30 or 35. I mean, that quick. Yeah. We go back into the arena. Ole shows up with like six guys he's already been training. Now we got to do 500 squats. That's after the four do. or five mile run. Okay. Yep. Now you got to, after you do your squats, you got to go run the stairs in between the seats of the col of the, on the Coliseum. So you got to go up one row, down, over, up another row, down, over, up another row, all the way around. You can't tell me that, uh, half of the guys at least didn't uh, drop out halfway through the squats. Come on. We're, we were down to about, <laughs> 20 after the squats yeah we were down to about 15 by the time we got done with the stairs mm. then we had to do 400 push-ups and it didn't matter if you just picked your body up and fell down you had to just you had to just keep because you know what they were doing was blowing you up of course and then you know and running the guys off that they could clearly see didn't want it and then anybody that lived through it then they took you in the ring. And then you were toast. Then, you couldn't really fight back because you were so beat up and run down from the all the, yeah. That's right. <laughs> they could yeah. just stretch the shit out of you. <laughs> and that's exactly what they did. They made you go through the six guys that yeah. they were already training. And basically, Ole was teaching them how to belly a guy out, put him down on his belly, yeah. and then grapevine his legs and put a rear chin lock on him. And, uh, you know, you, if you made it through the six guys, like I somehow I made it through six guys, through the six guys, Ole would then stretch you. But like an idiot, Ole wasn't there when I signed the release. And so where it was blank and it said, I hold harmless, I just wrote Gene's name. So, you know, Gene wasn't a shooter. He wasn't right. a hooker. So he came in and just started biting me and fish hooking me, and <laughs> broke my nose and everything else until they finally beat me up and. 
you know, I came out, I got cleaned up and came back and shook her hands and asked them what time the show was that night. And I came back and watched the show that night at the Coliseum. Well, you said in interviews that he had you in the chin lock. So when they were asking if you gave up, you couldn't even speak because your mouth was. Closed. Well, that was that was the last guy. Yeah, the last guy was uh, like the last trainee was maybe 290, 300 pounds, just jacked. And, you know, he put me he put me down because I was so blown up at that point. Yeah. Put me in the rear chin lock and Ole's in my face screaming, do you give up? Do you give up? And I always thought to my, I, I probably would have if I could have said yes, but I couldn't <laughs> get my mouth to move because he had me so tight. So then Ole got mad and made him do it again because he was angry at the guy for not being able to make me give right. up. <laughs> so now then the, the second time, somehow I get back up he can't grip by my leg and i get back to all fours but he's got me in the rear chin lock again and he's and always again screaming do you want to go home do you want to go home and at that point i was like thinking to myself yeah kind of i do but <laughs> i can't say anything so only took it as i didn't want to give up so that was when he waved gene in to proceed to beat the living shit out of me so <laughs> only was he as charming as everybody uh everybody uh, says He's he was he's a gem. Yeah, he's an he absolute sure gem. And what's funny is that the Murnix were the agents for the Crockett's because Ole was the booker and Ole wanted to run Ohio and Michigan, wanted to run the old Cheeks territory, sure. the West Virginia part, the part of the Western Pennsylvania, and then all of Ohio and Michigan. So they would come up through there, and they and a couple years later, and then the guy that trained me, Jim Lancaster. He was he used to work for the Crockett's when he was down there. So the Murnicks knew him, and they'd say, "Hey, we need you know you and two or three guys." And then I'd get booked on the undercard. You know, I'd work with Sam Houston or Pez Watley or um, on an opening match or a second match, yeah. and uh, I'd sit right across the locker room from Ole and Gene. They they never knew who I was. Didn't the, care. The so. Murnicks. Are you speaking of Elliot Murnick? Yeah. Oh yeah. wow. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I didn't realize that uh, there was two of them. <laughs> yeah, the, there were the the, the brothers. Um, I can't remember the other one, but right. Elliot was the one that was always on the road. Oh, okay. You know, kind of operating as the agent, and then JJ Dillon, and then uh, and then uh, at that time, um, um, Earl Hebner was there too, sure. refereeing. But, Al, what was your, growing up, uh, what wrestling did you see, though? Cincinnati, right? In that area. It wasn't well, so I, much I Crockett, was Lime, it? I am Ohio, so oh, I, got Lime, the, I got the original Sheik's territory. Right. Ed Farhat's territory, sure. big time wrestling. And that, and that was till about 74, and then he, you know, basically burned the territory to the ground. Yeah. And then uh, about 77, I think, we got you know, the advent of cable television. I mean, literally like yep. 1977. I, I'm that old. I can remember when cable television was came and, around. And y'all were lucky we enough got, to have it back then? Yeah. Nice. And we got, the, you know, we got uh, TBS. We got Turner Broadcasting. And Saturday night, Georgia Championship Wrestling came on. Yeah. So, you know, and then, uh, and that was it. So, Al, um, between then and I don't, what year was that? When you start, when you first, you know, when you were trained by, by uh, Jim Lancaster. 82, 1982. 82. May 22nd, 1982 was, I had my first match. And 
Okay, so then we were talking earlier, and uh, Mark in the booth, I'm pretty sure you have it uh, queued up. This uh, match from IC from Angelo and uh, from the Pafo family ICW. This was Lexington, Kentucky, right? Uh, actually, yeah, yeah, it was Lexington, Lexington, Kentucky. Yeah, and uh, it's we can see the match right now. Uh, Big Boy Williams just takes a. Uh, and- a uh, uh, leap, a uh, monkey flip, and now you come in and who uh, yep. Gibson shooting you into the ropes, and he, he falls. falls on his knee, and you just walk right past him, and it's like what the f? <laughs> <laughs> and Garvin's on the outside. You can tell he's just disgusted. He gets in, he he gut wrench saltos you, and now it's like a really stiff looking pile driver. But and, he, he and you sold it because it's not time to go home, right? So he just keeps holding me upside down. Nice. Oh. Uh, so fantastic stuff. So how yeah, long ago, Rogers, how, long was, how long how much experience had you had at that point? Nah, I mean I've been working pretty regularly, like, you know, five, six, seven days a week because wow. that you know, back then from Bruiser and you know, Dick the Bruiser's territory and, and other people around there. But um when I showed up that afternoon, the only person that was there was Rip Rogers. And the great hustler, Rip Rogers. The great yeah. the great hustler. And he he come. I come in and like I don't. I've been working for maybe a year, year and a half. And Rip goes. He goes. Uh, uh, how long have you been working? I go year and a half. And he goes. So well, how many? How many house show matches? Live, you know, house show matches, live events. Uh, um, and I go. I rambled off some number. He goes. Well, how many TV? And I rambled off some number. And he he had all these di- spot show matches. Yeah. He had all these different qual. You know, matches that sure. he wanted to know a number for. And then he sat there for like 20 minutes, you know, working the gimmick with a pencil, like doing this weird math problem. And by the time he got done, he was like, yeah, you've had about five matches. Yeah, so, like, he has some, <laughs> like he has this like an secret formula algorithm that, yeah. <laughs> yeah, <sighs> it, it, I'm not kidding. I'll never forget that. And, and he, he goes, we just want to see you sell, kid. We just right. want to see you sell. And I'm like, are you, that's all you want? You know, I can work. And he's like, and then uh, Randy um, showed up like he had been passed out on the floor of his house, uh, and they couldn't get him to come to. And right. then finally he came to, and he just blew into the backstage, you know. And he's like, "Hey, kid, yeah, talk to Rip. Yeah, we just we just want to see you sell today, okay?" And I'm like, "Okay." So then when Hoop fell, mm. that's you know that's the sure. last thing I remembered was no, they just don't they don't want me to do any offense. They just want to see me sell. So awesome. I just ran past him. Priceless. <laughs> Hey, and let's and let's just let's just for clarification for the people that are listening and not watching at home. Uh, when we talk about Hoot Gibson, we're not talking about the original uh, from the Rock and Roll Robert Express, Gibson. Robert Gibson, whose nickname is Hoot. So yeah, I think Robert. No, was... I think they stole that. I think he stole it. He he he, uh, he stole that name from Robert Gibson. Terrible. He had to. Terrible. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> hey, man. but I went back and I worked for I worked for the Poffos several times after that, and you know everything. Did fine, you ever so. do house show matches for him? Yeah, yeah, a few, not many, you know, but because yeah. primarily at that point in time, you just get brought in for TV, and then you'd work TV, and you know they'd everybody would do their three weeks of TV, yeah. and you know, you know, I was just I was what in the what people don't know the term job guy anymore. They think. When you lose, you're doing a job, and they don't understand that's doing the favor. Favor, yeah. And they that term's been lost. And there's a big know? difference between doing a job for someone and actually putting them over. 
correct or Explain doing it, you know please. to lose is not doing a job a job guy was a guy who was you know if you were part of the territory you didn't get, remember you didn't get paid for doing tv yeah because it was considered that was your chance to advertise yourself because where you made your money was on the house shows and on the loop and if you were a job guy you were brought in specifically for tv and you were paid like it was a job hence the term job guy right. and we haven't had those for 20, 25 years. And in '93, Alan, I'm, I, it might, I'm pretty sure it was the same when you got to WWF. We were we're pretty much not getting paid for TVs. We were getting like a hundred bucks or something along those lines. Hundred bucks, mm-hmm. yeah. And that was just for expenses or whatnot. But that was our time. That was our commercial time, basically, is what they told us. So, that's and it's the yeah, truth. I mean, yeah. that's that's the you know you don't realize it at the time. I mean, it's it's sad, but until you get enough experience, you don't realize that. You know, that's where I realized my, my mistakes, yeah. you know, is that I tried to be a great wrestler, a great performer, when really the purpose of that is to make yourself a great attraction, to sell, motivate, you know, that wrestlers have, much like movie stars, because that's why movie stars are held in so much higher esteem than television stars, in my opinion, is that they have the hardest jobs. And we, we have even a harder job, and that is... we. We have to spend take that 30 seconds that we're on TV or that minute or that six minutes. We've got to motivate someone to leave their comfortable chair, leave their house, get in a car, drive to a building, pay to park. Yes. Pay to come in the building, to sit in an uncomfortable seat around people they don't want to sit around, to eat food they don't want to eat, to watch you perform. That's a tough, tough job. And if you yeah. don't realize that that's really what it is, and you're out there just trying to have a great match instead of a match that motivates these people to pay to see you, you're, you're not doing your job. Yeah, you're not doing your job. No. Yeah. And too many people these days, too many of the wrestlers themselves, it's sad because they're not taught that. They're taught that right. it's all about going out there and having a quote-unquote great match sure. as opposed to having a match that's going to motivate more people to pay to see them the next time. You know, Al, when so. when you worked for the Papos, did that affect you being able to get booked anywhere else because it was considered the outlaw wrestling promotion? Um, not really, because I, you know, it didn't. Um, I would work for um, Dick Athlas, uh, Dick the Bruiser, yeah. and then I would go out to uh, for Vern out in Minneapolis, and then I would go for Muchnick and Geigel in Kansas, and then um, uh, George Cannon. Crybaby George you know, Cannon. Windsor. Yeah. Was that when you were uh, one of the kangaroos? Uh, no, the kangaroos came later uh, with, with Al Costello. Yeah. You know, which I was, I, I feel really proud of and that I was lucky to, you know, to be a part of that because, you know, Al Costello had been re- wrestling since 1939. Damn right. And then, you know, he had, I think he had one, we had, we had a six man with him in 19, um, sometime in the nineties, which meant that, you know, he had wrestled in like eight decades or eight Something or nine crazy decades. Like or, that. It was just insane. Wow. Yeah. I, I had, I, my very first match at St. Pete Bayfront Center and I, it was 82 or something like the, the, the kangaroos were there. Wild Red Berry was the manager and I can't remember. Yeah. But I think it was Don Kenton, Al Costello or, or that was right. Yeah. Uh, besides Hefferton, that was like one of the best yeah. incarnations of that gimmick with Al. 
you know, because I would always say, hey, mate, you know, you always got to have your wrestler and you got to have your your flyer, right. which meant one guy took all the bumps, took all the, bumps. And the other guy came in and put the holes Exactly. Yeah. yeah. That's yeah. what I need guys like that for my partners. Now. <laughs> <laughs> so. Were you part of the grab bag for ICW or were your pictures a hot seller? Oh, he's uh, talking no, about the, not. okay, here's the thing. Papa, Angelo Papo, uh, when I first started wrestling and Ange was on uh, uh, independent shows with me, yeah. he would bring all the old publicity photos from the ICW days and sell yeah. them in a, like, there'd be like 10 of them in a, in a, in a paper, uh, a brown paper bag. And it was a mystery grab bag for a dollar. So you of would course. have a you would there would be a photo of Crusher Broomfield who ended up being one man gang. One there, man gang. Okay, this is a good one. There was a photo of one man gang who was Ronnie Garvin, <laughs> and uh, you know that that they used to call Ronnie Garvin one man gang before uh, one man gang. So, anyways, I think we lost Al. No, we got him. Do we? No, I think we lost Al. No, he's there. Oh, there he See, is. there he is. Oh. <laughs> you just gotta right. give it a sec. Anyways, we're did back. You, did you hear what I was saying, L? I guess not. Well, let's All figure right, out. Lied. Let's go to a break. Oh, there you go. Okay. Oh, there we are. Cool. We can always go. Sorry. I'm well, here. Grab bag. What was I saying? Oh, did you grab hear? Bag, did you bag. hear any of the grab bag story? <laughs> did you hear any not of me. it? Not me. I heard all the grab bag stories and, you know, and then the, uh, and remember Belenko used to have the TV that he would give away on, yes. on the shows and he would always he'd have the raffle for the TV. Yeah. And then of course, one of the boys would win the TV right. and then they'd <laughs> raffle the same TV off the next show. Oh yeah. God. So hey, this Albert, there's a lot of things that you've talked about, talked about in other interviews from like early on in you know, your career and that. So I want to like a couple of things I'm personally interested about. Um, your martial arts background. Yes. yes. And uh, what what is it, actually? I have a, uh, I have a black belt in uh, Ed Parker Kempo oh, yeah. style karate, which, you know, I also have several other belts from JCPenney's. Um, <laughs> and then I have, a, I have a brown belt in jiu-jitsu. And then um, um, so, uh, I took, I, I, I uh, when I opened up, I opened up a wrestling school in Ohio, like in 90, somewhere in there. And, you know, I trained a lot of guys that did very well out of that school, but there was a boxing gym in the front of the building and I took up boxing, uh, for a while. Um, um, and for out of necessity, um, that, and then, um, uh, you know, when, when we, we both broke in, I'd say maybe I could be wrong, but 85% of the guys that were in professional wrestling at that time were either hookers or were shooters. Absolutely. And um, so I spent, you know, I spent a lot of time with Al Costello, who was a noted hooker. And, um, you know, they taught me a lot of uh, catch wrestling. Um you know, a lot of submission wrestling and stuff like that, which I, I loved. I mean, I, I still, you know, I think to be quite honest, I mean, I'm not bragging, but I, I've probably forgotten more hooks, switches, takedowns, reversals than probably most people have ever seen because so sure. many of those guys, Wilbur Snyder and Roger Kirby and, 
you know, uh, Al Costello, and and there were so many guys that that were legitimate hookers. Yeah. And you know, they I, every night I they just would stretch me in the locker room and try to teach me things, and of course torture me. Sure. Um, you know, for their own amusement. You, you, <laughs> yes, of course. <laughs> but you you know you'd learn stuff. I yeah. mean, and you know you could could kind of you know could kind of take care of yourself a little bit. So you know? so when uh, when Phyllis Lee. Uh, calls you and tells you. I'm, I'm I'm not sure if this is exactly how it went, but and tells you that she got Dan Severn uh, into yeah. the early like pro- it was either the first or the second UFC. It was the fourth. It was fourth. in uh, Sorry, okay. uh, it was in Tulsa, Oklahoma. Yeah, and uh, and who trained Dan Severn for the UFC? Al, Al Snow. Snow. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, we didn't know. You know, here's what's funny. It's like you ever if you talk about the UFC now. Everybody thinks like, like it always was like that. Right. Like because it's become its own style. Like, it, like fighters go in there and you know one guy might have a little better ground game or he might have a better stand up game, but really they're they all they all have, it's all became its own unique style. And you know, like I've been to Brock Lesnar's training camp and like it's it's you know they they have it all planned out to where he peaks. You know, because he's going to fight one guy. And back then, uh, one, neither Dan or I didn't have any clue at all, you know, what to do or how to prepare for that. But what made it worse was it was a tournament and you had to fight three times in the same night. And you might like Dan fought that night. He the very first guy he fought was a guy who was a Muay Thai fighter. That was it. He was not a. Muay Thai wrestler. He was a Muay Thai guy. Then the second guy was a long style uh, karate. I forget the style, but it was a long style karate. And then the third guy it wasn't was Keith Hoist Hackney, Gracie. was it? What's that? Never mind. I thought it was Keith Hackney, but no, it wasn't. No, it was uh, a, a a black guy. I can't remember his name. Um, but I, to, you know, because I, I the reason I remember is because I told Dan to watch as he stepped back. He would throw a roundhouse kick and to duck yeah. under and to. You know, uh, double leg him to take him down, and then once he got down, that was it. So, Al, and then you know, Hoist Gracie was jujitsu. Yeah. So, how do you prepare, you know, for three different guys that you don't even know who you're going to face till you get there? And Al, I'm pretty it, sure it was crazy. I want to say Dan might have told me himself, or I heard it from somebody that actually he had never been in a street fight before. No. And he, he didn't know how to he didn't know how to punch. He didn't know how to block a punch. And that was what we tried to focus on was, you know, we tried to focus on trying to teach him a blocking routine and how to try to throw a punch. And uh, he still he could not throw a punch to save his life. So you didn't do too yeah. bad of a job, Al, because a guy that had never been in a street <laughs> fight before in his life ended up being the UFC champion. Maybe not the first yeah, time he- around, but soon. <laughs> yeah, he, he did, you know, and God bless Phyllis. I mean, yes. she's she Let's talk about she Phyllis. doesn't get she doesn't get the recognition for all the people that she's helped, you know, make careers in the wrestling. Right. She uh, got Joe and Dean Malenko and booked in uh, All Japan Pro Wrestling through Lord James Blears when yep. uh, when the great Malenko couldn't get that done or Carl Gotch or anybody else. Uh, she got Dan Severn into the UFC. Uh, yep. And you know what? She got him in UWFI too. Before right. that, that's oh, that's right, that's she right. Did. Yeah, and because uh, I trained, I trained Dan for professional yeah. wrestling, 
um, specifically because I thought he could do well in UWFI, and then Phyllis got him booked in UWFI. Yeah, and um, and Phyllis, so. if it wasn't for Phyllis, I would not be here talking to you right now because I wouldn't have. Uh, I, I she's the one that she was the first one Al that had faith in me and believed in me because I didn't have obviously the physical tools. So yeah. I mean, in case anybody yeah, I, didn't know that. <laughs> well, you were saying earlier, Sean, that head was a tribute to Phyllis. That's right. I'm sorry. <laughs> I, I, the I, voice. I, when I would do the voice, I would, I would try to do it like it was Phyllis's voice. Yeah, um, that was the the yeah. deal. We all, we, whenever I would see Al's uh, mannequin head, I always say, "Hey, Phyllis." Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I was going to ask: Is that yeah. why you chose a woman's head for a mannequin? I uh, know. I. I, I uh, I'd actually, I had a, just a, a plain styrofoam head for a long time, and then I started getting these styrofoam heads that had these little thin plastic faces. And then the problem with them was that every time I would lose a match or something, I would take out my aggravation or whatever on the uh, the head, which was funny because in in ECW, you know, um, I would be a babyface throughout the whole match, and the minute I would lose, I would beat that head up, and they'd start booing me. But if I bumped a girl, if I knocked a girl on her ass. They cheer, but if Go I beat crazy. that head up, they get mad. Yeah, it completely didn't make any sense, but it worked there. So, what do you know? Yeah. God, you know, thank God for uh, the grace of God and the plastic head. I had a career. So. <laughs> do you ever have any issues flying with that thing? Um, numerous times, yeah. The most, uh, the the biggest one was one time I, you know, because you you never uh, check your wrestling bag. Um, you always have to carry it on. And, uh, I always carried the head in my wrestling bag with my gear and, uh, it went through for some reason they stopped me at the checkpoint TSA. It went through the x-ray cause normally it goes through the x-ray and I go through the metal detector at the same time. Well, for some reason it went, my bag went through first and then it got on the other side and they were like doing something with me on the other side. And this TSA agent, she opened my bag, and at that time I had tried to put it in a, put the head in a like a mesh bag, so that it would help protect their hair. Yeah. I figured, um, you know, because they were complaining about their weave, so I figured that would help protect it in the bag. And she opened that thing up, and she started screaming because she thought it was a real decapitated head. Oh come on! So I swear you. She freaked out, and the cops came running over with their guns drawn, and I'm like, oh, wait, 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 what are you doing? <laughs> they're, like, yelling at me to get on the floor, and I'm like, hold on, hold on. And then they found the head, and then they, you know, then that conversation, what's this? Why yeah. do you have it? You know, and Why they're looking at me help like me I'm on the forehead? sexual yeah, Did you tell him, on the obviously I'm a pro wrestler. Yeah. Well, that's, I'm like, it's part of my job. Yeah. It's, I carry it to the ring. I talk to them and um, I wrestle with them. And occasionally I hit my opponent with them. And they were like, just go on. Get on the mo- mo- so. Like guys, you like the wrestlers, usually it's the championship belt. That is the yeah. conversation piece as you're going through airport security. <laughs> yeah. But for you, it was a mannequin head. Uh, it was a mannequin head. Yeah. Yeah. Usually, I usually I get the subtle side. They'll open it up and give me the sideway glance, like, "Hey, what are you doing with the hole in the bottom of it?" You know. Uh-huh. <laughs> it's where you hide the drugs. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's, yeah. 
Well, of course, not... that's where I, that's where my head would go. So. <laughs> that's not the only time that the head brought you some heat. In 1999, Walmart pulled your action figure from the shelves yeah. because they thought that the head was too much like a severed woman's head. No. Was that was that like an all publicity is good publicity kind of a thing? Did that help your brand oh. or hurt you? Yes, and that all started because two women that were assistant professors of all things of communication at a college <laughs> of communications. This woman was an assistant professor of communications at a college in outside of Atlanta, Georgia. She took her children to Walmart, saw the action figure that has a bit of a deranged picture of me with the head, did no homework, didn't check into anything, wrote a letter to the Atlanta constitution, the the Atlanta Constitution, because wrestling was really popular then, printed the letter. Walmart panicked, pulled it off the shelves. Now, I find out we're in Philadelphia for Raw, for Monday Night Raw. And and myself and the Blue Meanie are in a gym working out. And, yeah, Meanie actually did do that at one time. And um, <laughs> the top three news stories on Every affiliate, I'm not exaggerating, every affiliate, this is how ridiculous it was, was the mayoral race for Philadelphia, the Bosnian peace process, and the fact they had pulled my action figure off the shelves of Walmart. Those were the top three stories on every affiliate, Fox, ABC, CBS, NBC. And uh, they did a story about it in Time Magazine. They did uh, Wolf, they... uh, um, it was Jay Leno had it in his stand-up act. Uh, Rush nice. Limbaugh mentioned it. It was ridiculous wow. for a week and a half. It was a- good for you, Al. Yeah, yeah, it was That's awesome. Good shit. Yeah, it's like you when they sh- it, when you told the story about your eyebrows getting shaved and your action figure blew up and yeah. everyone wanted to buy it. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it was. Awesome. I wrote the the women a thank you letter, you know, telling <laughs> you know how grateful I was, and you know, so just, Al. Uh, um, Christy was talking to me earlier and she mentioned, you know, like I was saying, you talk a lot about your earlier career and and other interviews. And uh, she said that a lot of times that uh, your ECW stuff didn't get mentioned. So I'm wondering if you guys had any stuff you wanted to ask about ECW. Yeah, well, I think maybe a good place to uh, jump off from that is our Facebook fan, Jason Worthing, said, I'm a huge ECW mark, and he wants to hear your favorite and least favorite memories of your time there at ECW. Uh, God, my whole time there was probably my favorite time there. I mean, it was just, you know, it was just, it was was such a wonderful locker room of guys, the camaraderie, and, and, and one of the few times... Um, that when guys would perform really well or whatever, and the crowd would be reacting, they would come back and like the entire locker room would be standing there and just, you know, giving them an ovation themselves. Um, you know, and, and Sean will test that, that, that normally doesn't happen. And it's you know? the best feeling in the world. Yeah. As it much it as really we, is. As much really as we is. love the, you know, from the people, like when your peers do that, when you walk through the curtain, yeah. that's, oh, sh- oh, yes. Yeah. Yeah. And it was um and uh, probably the 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 worst part of it though was my realization that that we were allowing and and me included we were allowing the audience to dictate to us how to perform. The people were and, working you, you weren't working the people. Oh, yes. So and the, and and I 
even mentioned that to several of you know the guys in the locker room like we need to stop this where the the tables are being turned on us yeah. which i directly link that to where we've come to where we are today is because the tables got turned there and it's 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 our fault sure. and it's it's remained turned ever since now i how do we any ideas on how we find that uh, that balance between the, the between that between the the fans working us instead of us working them or and but the thing is is also a big part of um the appeal to the for a wrestling van is to actually be part of the show so and they should be and they should be they should but be. it's finding that balance you know, it's finding that balance, and then I think it all comes down to though us, um, especially those that are within some kind of a power or authority, they can't be in the re- what I call the wrestling bubble. Right? They, they, you know, they can't allow the vocal minority to dictate the uh, the uh, the performance of the what really is truly, to be quite honest, is an art. Yeah. Um, and I understand all art's subjective, um, but it's an art that unless you and I and I don't care what anybody tells me, unless you have been in there and you've had to perform, and your performance was ba- was based on whether how in your ability to make a living and feed your family was based on that performance of how well you were to motivate people to watch you and to pay to see you. Until you've done that, you can have all the opinions you want. You can have all the information you want, which unfortunately is is far too easily accessible. Because uh, I, I think that that is another problem in and of itself, is that the more familiar that people become with something or someone, the more contemptuous they become with it. Yep. And and that's what's led us to where that vocal minority is so contemptuous of what they watch that they now do everything they can to dictate to the people within the wrestling bubble who now kowtow to that vocal minority as opposed to trying to perform or direct or produce the wrestling to appeal to a broad audience. For, per se, um, uh, an analogy... Uh, it would be no different than Hollywood when they produce a, a comic book movie, Spider-Man, yes. Iron Man. There's an established audience that reads the comic books, knows the characters, understands them, and will buy a ticket. But you don't make enough money to warrant producing a major motion picture off of just that audience. So you have to do it in such a fashion to appeal to the broadest audience possible. So now you're going to have to make subtle changes, changes that are going to kind of upset that Yeah, they're going to piss people off, yeah. Yeah, but that now appeal to the broader audience. And wrestling's no different. You know, we have to try to appeal to that broader audience, and we have to go back. We have to go back and go back to selling the very thing that we have always sold. Now, everybody talks about how the wrestling business has changed, but to be quite honest, the only thing that's changed is the, uh, in my opinion, is the level of sophistication of the audience that's watching. That's it. I agree and with you 100%, Al, on that. Because the, yes. the one there's only one thing that's fake about professional wrestling. Only one. And it's, only the, it's the only thing it's ever been fake, and it's the only thing it will ever be fake, and that's just that the outcome is predetermined. That's it. 
Sean, I mean, you know, everything that happens in that ring is quite physically real. It's just your what your intent behind what you're doing is what's fake. You're not out there trying to beat the guy. You're trying to make people believe that you're trying to beat him. And we've gotten so far away from that concept. And, you know, the wrestlers these days, the young guys will all say, well, they all know, you know, well, I got news for you. Everybody's known in in the United States and in North America that wrestling's fake, that it's been yes. predetermined since 1939. Do so, you, do you think that that uh, like some people like to say, well, uh, wins and losses don't matter anymore? He's a go ahead. Um, I I disagree. I the wins and losses don't matter, but they until do they do because it's the only yeah. it's the only consequence that we have to what we do. Yes, is a win and a loss. And it's the only thing that relates that I always try to explain this to, to, to people all the time that football, baseball, and basketball have enormous audiences for one reason. And that's because everybody's played them as a kid. All three, all of you three there, myself included, we've either shot a basketball on the driveway or we've played football in the backyard or we've played baseball at our family reunion. So when we watch it, we physically, we can relate to what's happening on the screen. That's why yeah. hockey has a bigger audience in Canada than it does in the United States, because more people played hockey in Canada than they have in the United States. Mm-hmm. In wrestling, there are only eight things that we do physically that people even have a clue what it feels like. Yeah. If you go around and ask people, they think it rings a mattress or a trampoline. <laughs> we we know, you and I, Sean, know that thing's <laughs> anything but. They're more like a billiard but, table. <laughs> Correct. Yeah. Especially remember back during the Dick Ebersol days. Oh, my Lord God. Mercy. Yes. It took it's until like 90. I want to say 97 before they got rid of all those uh, oh. uh, death trap rings. I call them death traps for, for guys that worked like we did. <laughs> yeah, they were terrible. They were terrible. <laughs> um, but the, the these days, a wrestler, a performer will try everything they can to get the audience to believe the move as opposed to why he did the move. The why he did it's been so lost that I go around all the time and I ask guys all the time, I go, what's the one thing that's fake about wrestling? They don't know. And they think that selling's acting like you're hurt when selling is selling the finish. Yeah. Selling and making the people believe that that headlock might possibly make you lose. That that, that drop kick might make you lose. That That, you know... The Bronco Buster might be the thing that causes you to lose. Most likely not, but maybe. (laughs) (laughs) But that concept's completely gone away. Yeah. And 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 it's unfortunate because again, the only thing in my opinion that's changed is the audience has become more sophisticated and now you gotta work harder and you've gotta work smarter to get them to give up their their belief and get swept up emotionally in the story of who's going to win and who's going to lose. Yeah. We have to, it's like we have to trick the audience now into eating their vegetables. Almost. Is that the right way of putting it? (laughs) Kind of. But we've always had to trick them into it. You know, everybody's harder to do it now. Listen, I'm, I'm, when I I wanted I, nineteen in the seventies, I would go to my family and all of them. I love them dearly, but none of them are Mensa candidates. Okay, <laughs> but I would say I want to be a professional wrestler, and every single one of them, their response was, "Why do you want to do that? It's fake." 
Mm. How did they know? None of them were psychic. They couldn't bend flatware with their mind. They, you know, they, none of them worked for NASA. It's not like they did mathematical problems and figured it out. Everyone knew. So why and none did of them had wrestling? Seen, none of them had seen that Hoot Gibson guy from ICW wrestling. <laughs> yeah, nobody had seen him. <laughs> but why did people continue to pay to watch professional wrestling? And not just you know, like in Texas, the, when the you know different territories got hot at different yeah. times with different performers, but they all stayed. Like Memphis, they sold out the Mid South Coliseum every Monday night for five straight years. 52 weeks a year, five straight years, they sold out the Mid-South Coliseum. That's a remarkable attendance record. Yeah, it's like a 10,000-seat arena in Memphis, Tennessee, in the southern part of the country with less population. Right. Yeah. If everybody knew, and they all knew, everybody knew that it was fake. But when you showed up, just like a movie, when you showed up and it was a good movie, you could lose yourself in that story and you could believe you know and that's i think that too that's what's missing too sean is everybody thinks kayfabe is some dead thing when really it was just a respect for your audience yeah. to not literally shit on them and go hey look you bought into this but it's all bullshit anyway that's right and and uh and the magicians still do it right everybody knows yeah but yeah they still protect it and and yeah. somebody you know i was asking this question uh to myself and a few others like I I don't well this is coming off like a statement more than a question. I don't think that it's too late to you know to still honor the no. kayfabe. It's not. And, and you know, all, but it, it takes the performers pull, to do it. Yeah, and exactly. And 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 the fact that you know if it's decreed that you know that's the policy now is to go back to that even though people know it's a, you know or you know what we're doing is entertainment like we don't have to give it all away. You know, we don't have to tell them how we made the Statue of Liberty disappear. They don't need to know that. And I'm sorry, but, and I found out how that worked, by the way. Actually, I, I <laughs> no, I really? didn't find out. I actually guessed it. And, and, and I, it took me decades to guess that, Al. And I'm not going to tell anyone either, because the per, the, when I guessed it and the person told me, they spent the, uh, all, like half their adult life uh, waiting to find that out too so but anyway oh, that's yeah. that just goes to show you like um that can be done with wrestling still it, it can, can. Be. it can be done Bring the and it, it's, back. it's still done with magic yes you know it, it, how we all know chris angel yeah. you know and 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 people don't people don't realize and understand the investment of you know um chris angel has his own theater at the luxor and if you go anywhere in las vegas there's billboards and posters and you know advertisements chris angel had his own television show all of that's an investment of money Mind they're not going to put that money in him unless they th- unless they think he's going to draw an audience you know yep. but at, we all know that magic's fake you know that intrinsically he's not altering physics he's not making stuff just i don't know man david air. blaine's pretty creepy dude Come well on, yeah man. blaine's pretty creepy too yeah <laughs> So would you say yeah. your feud with Grado based off British boot camp was like a good version of keeping kayfabe alive and well? I would hope so because a lot of people really bought, you know, have come up to me and said that they bought into it, that they believed it, that they thought that, you know, um, that legitimately I hated him and that, you know, that we 
had some kind of real heat and uh, when nothing could have been even closer to the truth, you know. Um, but they they believed it. They bought into it. Good. And, and that's the fun. Yeah, I didn't see I didn't see any of that, but that sounds that sounds perfect. And uh, like I'm a I'm a big Grado fan. I, yeah. I think he's the UK Dusty Rhodes, pretty much. I agree. Yeah. I agree. I you know I won't tell him that. But right. <laughs> I, I, I just call him a big fat bag of suck. But, he's I mean you know. he's not in quite as good a shape as you are, Al. But <laughs> he's you know. not in quite as good a shape as Dusty. And Rhodes he's not was. really working on it. But that's besides the point. <laughs> he no, got, but he, I, I saw, watched him, yeah, Sean. Sean, I yeah. watched him. I watched him in the UK, right? Yes, and. Uh, and and he was like, like Dusty Rhodes. I mean, yes. he was he was so over. So I'm like, okay, here's the real test. We're going to bring him to the United States. Let's see how he does in the United States. He's not in his you know yep. home territory. So they they put him out there in North Carolina, in Charlotte, North Carolina. Have him come out and work with Ethan Carter. Oh EC3. yeah, EC3. I'm a big EC3 fan. Yeah, me too. Yeah, um, so he comes out, crowd shits on him right from the start. Grado <laughs> walks out, they shit on him, right? Yeah. By the end of 10 minutes, by the end of 10 minutes, Grado loses the match, stands up, and the crowd cheers him and claps for him the entire way back. Wow. And they and they he, didn't know any of his stuff before that, any of his trademark stuff, any any of what nothing. makes Grado Grado. Did he get to come out to Madonna? Nope. No, he didn't even get to come that's out to Madonna. Huge, that's a yeah, that's see? another huge thing. Wow. Pretty good stuff. Nothing. That just shows how and good he, of a performance. He got himself over, even though he didn't get go over, he got oh. over to the point to where those people were cheering for him. When he stood up after the finish, people cheered for him and clapped as he left. Nice. And I was like, that kid's got something. Oh yeah. You hey, L, uh, you're uh, you're um, not to. Well, I was going to say not to rewind, but uh, I will anyways. Uh, sure. You, you're going from ECW. How long was it from ECW to your uh, next run in uh, WWE as head? With you know, uh, a year, as, a year's yeah. time. Yeah. Um, the whole story behind that too was that you know you know I. That was my own fault too, Sean. Was that when I was brought in to WWF at the time? You know, I was uh, to be quite honest. Like I had spent most, I'd spent thirteen, fourteen years working as a heel. Yeah. You know, and you know, the, a heel's job is completely different than a babyface's job. I mean, the, and guys don't get that anymore either. Yeah. You know, the heel's job is to get that babyface over. That's a heel's job. Doesn't matter where you're at on the card. That's your job. And if, cause if the baby face don't get over, we don't draw heat. We don't draw heat. We don't sell tickets. And I was, I just got done working in Smoky Mountain as a heel, come into WWF, um, you know, and had an opportunity, but you know, I was still focused on, I was, I got lost and I tried to be a great wrestler as opposed to using that as an opportunity to make myself an attraction. Um, Got kind of, you know, I got put with Marty, which understandably Marty didn't want to do the gimmick at that time because, you know. Oh, that. He, oh, okay. He, yeah. Okay. The, yeah, the new rocker he, stuff. You know, yeah. with the new rocker thing, you know, Marty, and I don't blame him. I mean, he built a legacy with him and Sean, and now now they're trying to, 
make it into something else with he and I. Plus, and, you plus know, Marty, Al, here's Marty's the thing, man. It was wrong for you, and it's wrong for anybody to be strapped with a new this or a new that. Anytime you put yeah. a the new whatever in front of somebody's name, they're screwed. They're done. Yeah. You know, and it had nothing to do Except with Except for the you. new world order. That's yep. different. Okay. But I'm just, anyway. Well, it was new, though. Yeah. But you know what I but, mean? Um, you know, like you, yeah. That's the last thing you needed. I, I mean, of course, you're going to do what you, you know, and the new Midnight Express stuff, too. But um, yeah. you do, and, and that's just like, okay, I'm a good soldier. I'm going to do, okay, I'll give it a shot. I'll do the best I can with what you give me to work with. But the Al Snow head stuff after you came back was a different story. Yeah, but even then, I I missed that opportunity because if I had if I knew then what I know now and they right. understood how much of every time I got on TV was really truly was a commercial and an opportunity for me as opposed to trying to have a good match, yeah. I could have taken so much more of an advantage and done so much more and went so much further and made a lot more money than what I you know and I did all right but I could have done a lot better only because I would have known how to maximize every chance I got every time I went out there and, and worked in front of an audience. Is there any specific thing that you go, God, this one particular thing I remember, if I would have just done yeah. it different, what was it? Yeah. There was, and this is, this is, and a lot of the young guys make this mistake, and I made this mistake. I was in Royal Rumble. And, and you know, I had just was had gotten done working at a whole angle with The Rock. Yes. And Rock's music plays, and I turn, and I'm waiting for him to come in. I'm waiting for him to come in. I'm waiting for him to come in. And I hear him mumble something underneath the rope. And I'm like I thought he said to get out of his way like he had a spot playing with somebody else. Yeah. And I'm, I let him run right past me because I didn't want to blow, blow his spot. You yes. know what I mean? When I shouldn't have done that. I should have just got on him and then let him do whatever he was going to do to me, and then yeah. he could go on and do what he was doing. But that was a that was a big like expose the business mistake. Yeah, and you know? so was he telling and, you to get on him as he's coming through? No, he wasn't telling me. I don't know what he was telling me, but, but I, you I, could, I swear I thought I thought he was telling me to get out of the way. Yeah, and maybe it, he was. Know, like, maybe he was, Al. <clears throat> maybe, and I. But I shouldn't have done it. Correct. I should have. I should have sure. gotten on him, and then. You know, I mean, I, it, I think it, it, I'd it, give myself a little bit of slack on that one, though, Al. If I were you, <laughs> I beat myself up. I sure. beat myself up about that and a lot of mistakes that I made. Oh, sure. Now that I, you know, it's funny because because you know, I remember breaking in when I was eighteen, and at the time when I was eighteen, you know, all the older guys would be like, "Look, kid, you're probably not going to make any real money until you're, you know, in your thirties, you know," because it takes so many years of experience to really get a grasp of what it is you you're doing, you know, and to really get a feel, um, to put it all together. Cause you, if you don't have that experience, you don't, you really don't have that understanding. You don't really, people, you know, all the time say, well, oh, my opinion, this, my opinion, that. And, and I tell people opinions, the lowest form of human knowledge. And you have to have information and you have to have experience and together, now you have knowledge. But if you yes. only have information, you don't have anything. You don't. You, oh, you've got like, look, which, all the information in the world is at everyone's fingertips right now through their cell phone, right? And, it and means, what good's that means doing everyone? Nothing. It means shit. It means nothing. <laughs> yeah. I, always, I always use the analogy, like, you want to be a doctor, you've got to go to medical school for seven years, I think it is. Then once you get done going to medical school, you've got to go into residency for yeah. three years. 
you got to go for supervised residency. Before you can be called a doctor, you've got to get three years of experience so that you can understand the very information that you have so that you actually have real medical yeah. knowledge. Yeah. You know, just because you go to school doesn't mean you have medical knowledge. You know what the biggest, so. one of the biggest ribs to me about this whole thing we're talking about is um, by the time we're just about everyone in wrestling, by the time yeah. we get there, we're over the hill physically. Yeah. You know, our, yeah. our, our physical prime is usually is in no, nowhere near uh, uh, in, you know, proximity to when we get it. Uh, upstairs it's true it's true <laughs> but you know what and i'm sure that you know you've gotten hurt and yeah what's every old time guy or every vet said to you that's when you every learn time how to you work hurt, that's right that's right and that every guy who finally gets it but is too old physically actually gets better because they understand how to truly work an yeah. audience and not do as much you know i did I did over the yeah. every time I got hurt, I figured out a way to and and it and I was a be, I was a better worker for it. Yeah, I now agree. I am a great you worker, know. and I can't do shit <laughs> physically. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm with you. I'm right there. Hey, Al, you know what? Um, I one of my last I had two that I can remember singles matches in the last several years, um, and the last one was with Jerry Lawler, and before that was few years prior to that with you and for uh, David Hero and Great Lakes. Oh, and yeah, I, yeah, and yeah, I didn't want to have true. that. I wasn't. I, I was physically in terrible shape. Uh, I was smoking a ton of cigarettes then still. And I, I could go about two minutes without blowing up. But you managed to carry me through about a 15-minute match. <laughs> we had fun. It was great. I remember the, ne- the next night we had the three-way. It was me, you, and Road Dog. Oh, that's right. And we did... We did the big uh, four-way sleeper with the referee, and then we all went got chairs, and then we all hit the chairs and all took a bump. And the referee came up and was like, there's three chairs in the ring. There's three guys down. Who hit who? Picked up the chairs. Um, uh, Road Dog hit you with the belt. I hit Road Dog with the head. One, two, three. That was it. That was it. (laughs) Yeah. <laughs> but the match do you remember the the, Euro, the European title match I had with you on Raw? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and you came out and you had this painting and I busted the painting and you came yes. out and got on me. Where is that, Mark? We got that? Mark Mark in the booth has that queued up. Yeah, but, That's yeah. The one where Austin comes out and just yeah. stuns everyone. <laughs> yeah, and uh but it was so basic our, our match was so it was all we didn't try to get too fancy. No. And uh, we always had we always had good matches nice. too. Whatever we worked with, yeah. Other. Especially if I if if I uh, tried to meet in the middle and not want everything my way, it usually went a lot better. <laughs> 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 my idea is the best. <laughs> Anyways, but yeah, we I, had uh, fun though. I no, mean, I, we I always fun. enjoyed working with you. And every time we always had a good time. And uh, the, my favorite part is is uh, we both got stunned by Austin at the end. Yeah. Great. yeah, yeah. I'm like, hell yeah! I'll take a stunner from Austin. Anybody that has a problem yeah. with doing something like that is just insane. Like, I don't care what it is. If I'm on TV in the same segment as Austin, The Rock, things like that, yes, count me in. I don't care what it is I'm doing. Yeah, more That's than happy me. to do it. Give me that run any day of the week. Were you the one that came yeah. up with bringing all that stuff while you were the European champion to the ring and being like, I'm from Spain this week, and you brought all like the pinata and the Manador hat and all that. Was that all you? Um, yeah. Well, they, what they, they, they came up with the idea that I would be from different countries every week, a different country. And then, um, 
they wanted because I was representing all of Europe. Um, there's Steve Austin. Yeah. Um, there he goes. There he stunned the referee too. He already got us. <laughs> you couldn't see it, but he already got both of us. Yeah. And um, they uh, they gave me like uh, uh, the first time like they wanted me to go out at Switzerland, so they had me go out in like these uh, lederhosen. Yes. And uh, had some you know some sausages, and I I always had the attitude like, well, if I'm going to do this and if I feel ridiculous doing it, I'm going to make it as ridiculous as possible. Yeah. So I started carrying all kinds of stuff out with me every, every time to represent a different country. And, that, and it was your, it. it was your idea, Al? Yeah. Well, it was kind of, the writers kind of came up with the initial idea that I'd represent a bunch of different countries. And then I just started carrying all kinds of stuff out, like a different celebrity, like Germany. I had the picture of David Hasselhoff yeah. to Italy. I had a picture of Tony Danza, um, <laughs> You know, um, uh, Greece, uh, I had a picture of John Travolta and Olivia Newton-John, you know, oh, and I had the soap yes. on the rope around my neck. <laughs> yeah. Love it. So I had, I had a little subtle, you know, things. But but you, when I did Switzerland or when I, no, when I did Germany, they gave me the Lederhosen and they gave me the sausages, a big string of sausages. And I like stuck the sausages through my, uh, the fly of the Lederhosen. Oh, nice. And I walked past Vince and Vince goes, Hey, what are you doing? <laughs> knock that shit off and right. I had to pull it out and so were you, you human resources. responsible for like physically getting these items that you wanted to carry to the ring or did you just like make a list there was a there was a guy okay his name's uh, um, Richie Posner Richie Posner yeah and they called him his thing was that he got all of the you name it like the joke the legitimately if you went to Richie, and they would, and they go to Richie and they go, okay, Richie, we're in uh, Huntington, West Virginia. We need a left-handed giraffe, and we need it here by 7 o'clock. Yep. Richie's reaction, no matter where he was in the United States, would be, all right, I can get it, but it'll cost you. Yep. And at 7 o'clock, there would be a left-handed giraffe standing there. So, like... He loved it because I would go to him and I go, look, I need th- I'm representing this country. What can we get? What can we do? What can we? And we'd just come up with the most ridiculous. Of- One day I re- represented Transylvania and he like made a, a battery operated bat that flapped its wings and attached yeah. it to me with a clothes hanger. And so I could walk out with it like it was flying around my head. Yeah. His, so. his area backstage was called magic department. Yeah. Like I'll go see yeah. Richie at magic. He'll take care of it. <laughs> So yep. why wasn't this the guy you asked for the dogs in the kennel match? If this is the guy uh, that actually, I and I've I've talked about this, and and you know when and, and, and there's no heat on Vince Russo at all. I love Vince Russo, I, you know, because the last time I brought this, you know, the, this came up, he right. like sent me a message, bro, I love you. What the hell? Um, it, it's no heat on Vince Russo. It to, quite honestly, it it's heat on. You know, just it's wrestling. I mean, yes. they just we don't think things through. We really don't. So the minute he came to me and was like with this idea, I'm like, you understand, we have to have trained animals and we have mm-hmm. to have them highly trained all from one kennel so that they can be directed by one guy standing outside the cage. You understand that? He's like, oh, yeah, don't worry. Don't worry. So, of course, I get Pepper, the Chihuahua that I said, can you please give me a trained 
dog? And he's like, no problem. Turns out they just contacted a vet who went down her, the list of people that owned a chihuahua, and then I got that dog. So I'm like, from I don't know what, how long it was, the buildup, the angle for this that kennel from Hell match, but it was months. And every time I spoke to them, you understand we need trained animals. We need trained animals. We need highly trained animals. We need All these dogs need to be trained by one guy standing outside who can call, you know, tell them to attack, tell them to sit, whatever he needs. Yeah, 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 we got it, we got it, we got it. I show up in Charlotte, I see like eight dogs with eight different owners, and found out that that morning they called a veterinarian clinic and got a list of people who owned Rottweilers, and that was, one dog had some obedience training. So now you've built the entire story the entire story is about dogs. The wow. entire gimmick's about the dogs, but you can't show them on TV. You can't use them in the match because they're too busy uh, urinating, defecating, and fornicating to the point to where two people had to exchange that numbers. That would have been even better. In the backstage. <laughs> that would have well, been they, even yeah, better, Al. It was supposed to be a cage within a cage surrounded by sharks <laughs> that were four-legged dogs, and it turned out that they were busy. Like The biggest spot of the night was like this 350-pound owner comes running out with his dog on the leash and trips on the rug and big splashes his own dog. Awesome. That was it. That was the biggest spot of the night. Oh. Cue the Benny Hill music. <laughs> it was... Yeah. Everybody knows entertainment. You don't work, even in porn, you don't work with kids or animals. You know, it's just, that's especially in porn. You don't especially work in porn, so, yeah. So was Richie just not in the magic department for this situation, or you trusted Vince Russo uh, to take care of it that you didn't make sure that you went to Richie yourself? Rich, Richie and I spoke numerous times. Richie was on the same page, but somewhere the ball got dropped and it never got taken care of. Mm. It's Vince Russo's so. fault, everyone. Blame it on Vince. Uh, everyone blames everything uh, on Vince Russo. Bro. Yeah, it wasn't, it wasn't Vince's fault. Yeah, Vince. I love Vince. Me too. I do. And, and Vince yeah. was, hey, can, everyone can say what they want, but the Vince and Vince, the combination of the two yes. was what worked. It was Vince Russo and Vince McMahon worked. And, and, it, and it was, and Vince Russo's, Vince Russo's uh, vision and, and, you know, was what helped catapult WWE's business at that time with Vince McMahon's guidance. He deserves Vince credit McMahon for that, too. the wrestling business. He deserves, What's that? He, he deserves proper credit for that, and he doesn't, he he, doesn't quite get it. And a lot, of, a lot of us would not have gotten the opportunities we would have, that we got if it hadn't been for Vince or something. Yeah. Some, that's, a, that's the truth. I find that people either give him too much credit or way too little. And it's not a lot in yeah. between. Not a lot exactly how much he deserves, which he deserves some, yeah. for, for sure. Yeah. I made a lot of money Absolutely working with Vince Russo. A lot. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah. I, you know, I, there would not be a to be quite honest. I don't know if there would be as to you know would be or to the degree a Steve Austin if it hadn't been for Vince Russo's involvement, right? And know. early DX stuff before I got back as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's the truth. I mean, you know, he was instrumental in a lot in in helping to you know open the doors for a lot of things that Vince McMahon himself would have been otherwise completely shut to. Like Gangrel, know? Gangrel said Vince uh, McMahon never yeah. wanted him on TV. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Well, Russo seems yeah. like a seems like a good segue. If you don't mind, we talk about TNA a little bit. Sure. What is your role there now? You said you're still working with them a little bit. 
Um, I work as a, I've been working as a producer for quite some time uh, or an agent. And then um, I've also been an in-ring talent for the last little bit too, mm-hmm. as well. So, What do you want they, people to know, the fans to know about the current state of TNA? Um, what I would, I, I say this all the time and, and, and Sean will tell you too. I, if I say something, it's my opinion. I mean, that's been an advantage and a big disadvantage for me is that I don't BS anybody. Mm -hmm. It's not because I'm with the company because I could care less because I've been with companies and I've said what I wanted to say anyways. And sometimes that's not really worked out too well, but I can um, relate to that. We appreciate it. Yep. Sean's pretty much the same way. (laughs) Um, The one thing I could tell everybody about TNA is, is that um, ever since I've been there, I've been so impressed with how hard, and I mean everyone, works. It's They have a third of the budget. They have, uh, if that. A third? They have a th- I can't even if, imagine it being that. Yeah, I don't, yeah. I, maybe 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 a, a quarter of the of WWE's budget. They have a, a quarter of the roster. They have uh, a quarter of the production crew. They have a quarter of the uh, television staff. They have, uh, you know, a quarter of the, they don't even have a quarter, to be quite honest. They don't even have a 16th of the office staff. Um, And they put out a product that is, you know, it's, it's not going to completely, you can't compete with Vince and WWE that, that they're in their own realm, but it's comparable and it's, it's respectable and it looks like a national stage product. And it's something and different, such as total nonstop it, deletion. It, it is different and it has, you know, it has a different vision, a different direction, a different taste. It gives an, uh, a fan base, a different, um, gives them some, a different product that they can look to instead of just WWE. And, um, you know, uh, it, I, I'm proud of of, of what what's done there and what's accomplished there. Is it you know could it be done better? Could it be managed better? I'm sh- sure it probably could, but you know um, asking those questions leaves it open for me to speculate and yeah. make assumptions because I'm not privy to um, the other side of the of the fence of what goes on, you know, backstay back in the office or, or what goes on, you know, what motivates those, some of those decisions. So if anything uh, that I would speak about in regards to that stuff, it would be just assumption and speculation on my part. And I'm, I, I refuse to do any of that yeah. in public do, anymore. Do you think it just it, doesn't make any sense. Do you think it's better off you don't know those things, the behind-the-scenes stuff from there? Yeah, it, yeah, it is. I mean, because it's not my resp- if it were my responsibility, then it would be a necessity for me to know it, and then you know because now I'm going to be held accountable for it. But if it's not my responsibility, then I'm not going to be held accountable for it. Yeah, and uh, and therefore my need to know it is is not there. And uh, you know, <clears throat> I do what I can as much as I can when I produce the matches and work with the talent to try to. Um, you know, help them by learning from my mistakes so that they can really take advantage of the opportunity that they have by being on TV and utilizing it to the best that they can possibly utilize it, as opposed to just going out there and trying to have a great match. Um, That's a mindset that I really have 
I fight with all the time. Yeah. Um, and you know, cause they just, you know, they don't, they don't understand. Al, they don't get it. Al, who are the guys that you would say are the standouts there right now that, uh, you know, um, are really, um, really running on all cylinders. Uh, Bobby Lashley, oh, he yeah. finally found his, his, and you'll get what I mean. He found his voice. He found oh, what good. is him, what works, you know, it connects. If Bobby were to go back, like, you know, and I've told him this, if he were to go back to WWE now, he, he, he could, he'd be the one guy that could go and have a money drawing angle with Brock Lesnar. Yeah. Like wow. he, he'd be a star now if he goes back. There are rumors there's that no, WWE is interested in that. There, there's no, there's no ifs, ands, or buts about it. He, he has his voice. He knows who he is. And, and, and sometimes it's just, you know, it's just that one little, it takes that time to find that thing, you know, and, uh, EC3, totally um, spud, Un- Big fan. Undoubtedly. Yep. Huge. Uh, uh, EC3. L, L, EC3 went. See, I was. I just came back from Mexico, and so I was stopping by uh, FCW before it was NXT. And EC3 yeah. was there, and then next thing you know, he's gone. And and, and then I see him in uh, you know TNA, and I'm like, why in the hell did they let him go? And I think. Better for Sean, him, though. Think, better for him, Al. Better. Yes. Much better. Because I, I think it, it gave him that opportunity to get that experience and get that, yes. you know, that chance for him to figure who he who he is out, you know, because yeah. that's what it takes is that finding that voice, that thing about you. And it, it didn't happen for him until he got to TNA. That's why I consider him a TNA homegrown talent more so than, you know. He's him. the only. Yes. He, he, he is the only one. I mean, he's the one that they they literally have made into a star, and he made himself into yeah. a star. And, and you know? uh, how, about, um, how about Aaron Rex? Aaron Rex? Yes. I, you know, I've worked with Aaron since he was in uh, OVW for several years when he right. was in the developmental um, and, and we're talking no offensive. We're talking about Sandow no. for anyone that doesn't know. Yeah, Damian Sandow. Yeah. I, I, you know, he's a very talented guy, and he he's now he they he's changing his gimmick to what to hit his his idea. It's yeah. a it's a very Liberace ish type of, and I think it'll be a it'll get him a lot of heat. I think he's gonna he's gonna grow into his own character. Oh, good, because whatever he does, I always thought whatever they gave him to do, I thought he always knocked it out of the park. Or at least got a, yeah. a, a good, you know, ground root double or triple. Right. But I think it, it for him, this will be the opportunity for him to grow for him. and really for him to find his own voice, you know. Yeah. I think that's the, that, because that's, you know, that's the thing. Is they can give you a character. They can tell you to perform in such and such a manner. But the 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 biggest problem is um, if it's not you, if it's not inside, it's not that that thing that we can just turn the dial up. Then you'll be, let's say, uh, you know, they want you to be a fireman. Well, you'll be a, a fireman backstage. You'll be a fireman in the vignettes. You'll be a fireman on the promo. The minute the bell rings, you just become a wrestler in a pair of trunks because the fireman goes away right. because. You can't think about being a fireman while you're wrestling. But if you are a fireman, you're going to be a fireman from point A to point Z. You know, like Firebreaker and, Chip. 
Great, best, wow. the best story about Firebreaker Chip. Okay, yeah. I'll do it real quick. Ricky, Ricky Morton. Yeah, who doesn't love Ricky Morton, right? Yeah. So Ricky Morton Punky. is telling me a story about him and Terry Taylor. Who doesn't love Terry Taylor? Right. Terry Taylor and Ricky Morton are out in Arizona, and they they got to wrestle Fire uh, Firebreaker Chip and uh, Chris Champion. Yes. Who you oh, know, boy. Ricky's like they're both standing across the ring, just like you know, just swole all the way to their neck, you know, yes. all the way to their ears, and. Um, Ricky a gets, Todd you know, champion. Ricky, You're thinking of Todd champion, not Todd Chris. champion, Todd, yeah. champion, not Chris champion, yeah. Todd champion. So, you know, Ricky and Terry are from the old days. You don't touch, you don't, you barely put any touch on them. Yes. So get in with those guys and they just start beating the crap out of Ricky. Ricky tags out, beat the crap out of Terry. <laughs> Ricky gets back in. They beat the crap out of Ricky. Ricky goes, okay, enough of this walks over, throws a working punch, hits Terry, pulls him in the hard way and then grabs him in a headlock and they proceed to wrestle like for six minutes. That's then Ricky awesome. hits Terry with a cross body, tells Earl to count. Earl counts, get up and Three. walk to the back. Nice. And they have their own match while Todd and Chip are standing there watching like, what the hell is happening? I would die to see that on video. And, uh, Grizzly, Grizzly Smith standing in the back. He goes, what the hell was that? And <laughs> Ricky's like, you want to work with them? You go work with oh, them. They were shit. killing us, so we decided to have a match with each other. So, <laughs> I wouldn't really, that was at a TV match. What's it couldn't that? have been a TV match. Come on. Uh, no, it was, a, it was a house show match. I wish it was a TV oh, match. Man, I wish I'd to God. I'd die to see that. If, this, if that was today, we'd have that on like some viral video from somebody's, uh, you know. Yeah. Uh, going. Hey, so Al, I, I want to rewind just a little bit again, sure. Because we yeah. had we had uh, Bob Holly on, um, like I said, you know, about a month ago, and uh, yeah, we were talking about the tough enough stuff with um, Matt um, Capitelli, and and you know, Bob talked about how he, uh, he, about you two having a dis- disagreement on that whole situation. Oh, I was mad at him. I was mad at him for it. Yeah, I was. Yeah, he knows it. Yeah, you know, and Bob's a great guy. Yeah. Bob's a terrific person. He is. But what a lot of people don't understand is that you know Bob was going through it. You know, you know how hard it. You know, a lot people don't realize. Like everybody goes, oh, I want to be in WWE. I want to be in WWE. And I tell guys all the time, I'm like, Are you sure you really want to do this? Yeah. And they're like, Yeah, I want to do it. I'm like, Okay, so you understand that. You basically you're playing poker with every single person that's in that dressing room, and you're basically playing chess with the company that's you're working for, and it's 24 hours a day, seven days a week, and you're only as good as the last time you performed. So think about you're a baseball player and you're in the World Series and you're up to bat. Yeah. Well, you're only as good as if whether or not you hit a home run or you hit something that's going to allow your team to win. Well, every Monday night, you got to go out and perform in front of 20,000 people live with millions of people watching you around the world with your boss, who God only knows what his opinion is that day, yeah. sitting there watching the monitor and every single thing you do. If you cut a promo, everyone in the back is waiting, watching, hoping you screw up because if you do. No matter how long you've been in the business, no matter how much work you've put in, no matter how much effort, no matter how good you were the last 25 times, you screw up that one time, 
That gives them ammunition to go to Vince and go, that guy's not right. He, he can't carry the ball. What are you thinking about? You should go with this other guy. You should go with me. Yeah. And now you're wandering around backstage and you don't know why. That's right. You have to live your life like that 24 hours a day, seven days a week. And the stress is unimaginable. It just, it, you've got to thrive on it. And you've got to, again, back to you got to have a passion for it. So that all being said, the formula for Tough Enough, the, the producers purposely, and, it, and you know how it is, the, every wrestler has a gimmick out in the ring, but yes. they also have a gimmick backstage. That's, you know, and, and, and Bob was, you know, Taz's gimmick was he was a miserable human being. What he's not, he's a wonderful, funny guy. Yes. He really is. But, you know, the gimmick in the locker room is he's a, he's a miserable, tough, you know, hard-ass guy. And, of course, tough enough, all the boys are like, yeah, we want them all to pay their dues, pay their dues. Yeah. And, you know, so now Taz goes in there and he's trying to physically and mentally stretch him at every chance he can. And, you know, so that when he goes back, he's still got his cred with the locker room. Yes. Well, now he's set the bar as being a badass. Well, now, season two, Bob's now the badass because I'm always the guy that – and really, I was actually the – I was the prick. I was the guy that was constantly putting pressure on. I wouldn't just do it a little bit. I'm always pushing, pushing. So I was actually the hard ass. But Bob's the one that would just get up in their face and scream and yell or would threaten to beat him up or do all of that. So now you've got Bob coming in the second time. Now Bill DeMott's now the hard ass in season three. Yeah. And there's this little competition – as to who can get the hard ass gimmick over more. So Bob comes in with his necks hurt from Brock Lesnar. He's got all this stress and he's, you know, and he comes in and, you know, and, and there's that, well, I'm going to be a big, and it was actually between him and Bill was kind of a little, well, you know, a little back and forth between the two of them about who's a bigger badass. And then, you know, you get in the match and, you know, Bob took a liberty, you know, he hauled off yeah. and just boom, pop. Yeah, he, I, Matt, I actually, I saw it and my, I, I did think it was uh, a bit much, but I didn't think it. I didn't think it. Really? Okay. I didn't get that yeah. part, but I just I know I. For me, I I don't agree with that way of doing things, but I've been through it, either. and it wasn't as I don't. It didn't look as bad to me as it did. It seemed like it did to a lot of other people. Listen, I, I I've been through it. I mean. Yeah. You know, Chris Irwin beat me in the back of the head so much in a, in a TV match out in St. Louis, I couldn't see out of my left eye for a half an hour one time. Wow. Well, I was literally blind in my left eye. You know, I could just see I could just see black because yeah. he kept rabbit punching me in the back of the head. I'm sure I did something stupid, but <clears throat> so I've had guys, plenty of guys, you know, over the years took liberties with me. Um, you know, and I just kept going. Um, but at the time, you know. Bob just came straight up. Matt didn't do anything. Bob, right. Matt just came in, and then Bob just, whatever frame of mind he was in, just hauled off and just blasting and knocked him, completely yeah. knocked him out, and then proceeded to just keep, you know, beating him up. And the thing, the and, thing about uh, that situation, when, when, and even if the guy can take care of himself, um, you're 99.9% of the time in that situation, the guy's not going to fight back. I don't care how tough you are. Right. If you aren't expecting it and you literally kind of lean in and yeah. go, hey, here you go, and you open yourself wide up and the guy hauls off and just sure. plasters you, you're on the back foot That's no matter right. what from there. Even if you do fight back, you're not going to – it's not going to amount to much. That's right. I mean, you know, 
it, it, it is, and it, for me, and I would the way I was taught that what you you even if you have an issue with a guy, you never do it in the ring because it affects everyone's livelihood. The place you do it is backstage. You go in a room, you shut the door, and you go look. Here's the problem, and we're not. The door's not opening until we settle it. Now, for, for you, does that? Uh, so, are you, are you saying that the the three potato rule doesn't uh, does it doesn't apply for you? <laughs> What's the no, potato it does. rule? No, I mean that's that's. I have no problem, you know, if guys want to, you know, and I'll tell guys today because you know how they are now. They, yeah. oh, I work strong style. No, you're stiff. Yeah, and the, and. The, <laughs> You know, and the reason that you're you're and you're actually stupid, and the and the reason you are is because you have the liberty of being able to work like that because you're not going to work until next weekend again. Exactly. Well, back in the day when you work seven nights a week, you you know I tell guys all the time if you can think of a new way to ball your fist up and hit me in the face, God bless you, because <laughs> I've been hit a lot. Yeah. But I'm telling you right now, I'm going to punch you back, and at yeah. some point you're going to get tired of me hitting you. And we're not. I'm not going to stop hitting you. Now, the, for for those of you that that uh, don't know, and that's most everyone listening, the rule that I was taught, and I'm sure you were taught, and it's the first the first one. It's like okay, hey, easy. The second one, okay, maybe it's still a mistake. On the third one, it's like okay, you know. Now you that's the way we're going to work. Yeah. Now you and, and now to, you get them back on the third one. Yeah, and to Bob's credit, like if if Bob. If you hit Bob back, he he won't complain. He won't Absolutely. come back in the back and cry yep. or piss and moan or anything yep. like that. You know, to his credit. And he worked it, with everyone the same. Like I, I, he worked with me like that. I worked with him like that. So I mean, yeah, yeah you're right. But he right. he he came in and, and he threw a. Sh- I mean, he caught him. I sure. mean, it was and then proceeded to continue to right in the face and the head. You know, it's it's one thing to hit hard in safe places. You know, that's but. It was hard and unsafe place right out of the gate, yeah. like boom, and kept going. So yeah. you know, it was it was just a bad situation and bad, you know, and you know, time you know for Bob and you know, and it was it was a mistake and it and it shouldn't have happened. It really shouldn't have. But know. you know, um, but you know, it, to the the whole the three potato rule that that I don't it doesn't exist anymore. These guys go out there and hit each other all the time as hard as they can, and it's like, it, think about it like this: if if for whatever reason, if if you know you and I are the thing that's now for whatever we we get hot and we're drawing money, yeah. But you like to work, you know, like Johnny Valentine used to like to work stiff, you know, but he never hit you in unsafe places, but right. you. Because you want to be, you know, you want to work strong style. You, you, every night you form me in the face as hard as you can. Well, I form you back. Well, that's fine. But if we're working seven nights a week, at some point we're going to get tired of hitting each other. But we can't stop now because we've taught the audience that's what to expect and that's what's drawing money. Well, one night you catch me just right and you break my jaw. Yeah. Well, now I can't work. So I'm not making money. But you ain't got nobody to work with, so now you're not making money. And now the houses that were up now all go down, so now everybody else isn't yeah. making as much money as they were, all because you had to work strong style. That's right. It must, That's not real smart. Usually the, the hard punches look like shit anyways, Al. And it's right, hard. You can't sell them. It's hard to register. I, let, me, let, let, me t- let me tell you a real quick story to illustrate this point, and then, and then we'll just drop it. But okay. You re- remember, the one thing that's fake about wrestling is the finish yes that's it it's the only thing that's fake so i'm watching uh daniel bryan uh uh 
Nigel McGuinness and uh, Roderick Strong and a couple other guys over in England. This was year, several years ago. Sure, okay? when they were ROH guys. They're having a match, all of them, and, and throwing forms, and they're just lacing each other upside the head and the <laughs> jaw, just forming each other left and right, right? Yes. And punch. They punch each other, just haul off and punch each other in the face. I'm in the back going, what the hell? Does somebody owe somebody money? Because they're beating each other like they have a Sears charge card and they bought a lawnmower. They have a running balance. I mean, it's ridiculous. But, but here's the thing: if they knocked each other down, what do you think they did? What they bent yeah. over and picked the guy back That's, up. That's oh, oh, no way so now I'm doing that. I go to them and I go, "Hey, why are you hitting each other like that?" And they go, "Well, we want people to believe." I'm like. How are they going to believe in it when you bend over and pick the guy back up? You could have hit him as hard as you wanted, but the minute you picked him back up, you told everybody you weren't doing it to win. Right. So they don't believe in your punches. They don't. No matter how hard you hit that other guy, they're never going to believe your punch. They're only going to believe why you punched him. And you just buried that, so now you just hit this guy and gave him a headache for no reason. So Yes, that and I, I never pick guys up off the ground after I knocked them down because, number one, it's a waste of energy. And like, yeah, why didn't I, I just wait for him to get back up. I'm like, you know, come on. Yeah. Know, you know, that's just how yeah, I did because it. Because why would you knock somebody down to the yeah. very place you could win and then bend yeah. over and pick him right back up again? And it's, it really affects the flow to like things. It just, ugh, God, just I hate it. that. I hate that, Al. That's one of my pet yeah. peeves. Knock him down, pick him back up, knock him down again, pick him back up. Plus, you're telling the audience, hey, you thought that move was big? Yeah. Watch this one. So you just made that move mean nothing, which makes the next move mean nothing, which yeah. now makes the next one mean nothing, which makes the finish mean nothing. Plus, fella, like anyone wrestlers out there listening, like when you knock a guy down, learn how to fill space as the guy's feeding back up to you. Don't yeah. just sit there with your with your pecker in your hand. Or, <laughs> or pick him back up. Here's a, crazy, just, here's a crazy thing. Grab a hold on him. Or Try that. that. Yes. Know. Or cover him when you knock him down. <laughs> How yeah, about that? Cover him. Imagine that. I used to used to be when you knock the guy down, you cover him every time. But anyways, I don't want to get off on a rant, Al. Yeah, we 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 could go on and on. So can uh, we talk about gut check? Can we talk about what? Can gut we talk check. about gut check? Gut check. Yes, we can. Sure. So what about? I heard you say in an interview that gut check was a shoot. Was that after the Alex Silva, Ric Flair situation that you guys decided, well, let's just make this a shoot? Or was no. it always planned to be whatever you guys decide, that's what you decide? Well, first off, nothing's a shoot. <laughs> Everything's a work. Okay? And that's the truth. In life. It, it, it's, a, it's a work. You don't put anything on TV um, in, in Tough Enough 4, which was, you know, a part of SmackDown, you know, uh, against my advice, because hey, what do I know? You know, they wanted to do like that shoot thing with where Kurt shoot wrestled all of the tough enough contestants, and then Daniel Pewter hooked him and was going to had him in a bad way. You don't, you never put shoot stuff on TV. You never do that. So, but brawl the for thing all. about the great, yeah, <laughs> the brawl for all, Sorry. where literally the audience was at different times chanting, we want fake. Remember right. that? Yeah. It, one night they were chanting, we want fake. Wow. <laughs> it was so bad. <laughs> um, the thing about gut check was that it, the whole premise behind it was to give guys who had been in wrestling that never had a national stage or national opportunity, an opportunity. And then what they made of that opportunity was totally up to them. And a lot of times, 
like we'd have a discussion backstage, you know, between us, much like the Ric Flair situation. Ric Flair all day was like this Alex Silva, no way, you know, he was just burying him and was like, he's not going to stand a chance. So like, okay, so it'll be two no's and a yes. I'll say yes, Bruce will say no, or Bruce will say yes, I'll say yes. And it had to be a unanimous decision is what it had to be or so. It had to, no, it had, it had to, to be, be the two, majority. Yeah, it had to be a majority. So Bruce said yes, I said no, and Rick was going to say no. And then Alex cut that promo that, completely changed Rick's mind for a shoot on the fly. And then next thing you know, he gets hired. Oh, you know? no. Yeah. I didn't know that happened so, like that. He, he cut a promo that saved, that made the day. Uh, so that was a shoot. Joey Ryan was supposed to be no, no, out the door. And then he stood up to Taz and made an opportunity. Hmm. I didn't even know and, Joey and, Ryan was there. You know, so a lot of time, you'd you'd literally we'd sit backstage and go, "Well, yeah, this thing." And when the guy would go out there and would perform, he, you know, he made the most of the opportunity he had, right. and ended up on the fly. Things would get changed. If you watch, if you pay attention, there are a lot of times you'll watch my expression, and I'll they'll it'll go off the what we'd agreed to, and I'll be like, "What the what just yeah. happened? What what are you guys doing?" Because I, for a shoot, I have the worst poker face ever. <laughs> and I can't tell you how many times I'd be standing in the ring like, what, what? I thought we said no. What? Are, he's yeah. now getting hired. Well, that seemed to be Bruce's reaction because Flair says no. You say yes. He cuts the promo. Flair changes his vote. And Bruce Pritchard looks like, well, I guess we got to hire him now. I was going to say no, but you got two yeses, so you're hired. And then because he was Canadian, you had to get a work visa for him and all this. Yeah. So there were like yeah. all these rumors about – and, and 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 Silva Alex was actually a very talented, had a lot of potential, but was too young. Sometimes you can get the right thing at the wrong time. Yes. And it was it was he had he got an opportunity, but he was too young and too immature to take advantage of it, and he threw it away. And, and that was that. Otherwise, he had he had all the he had. It was a very charismatic young man, well built, could really perform physically. You know, he had all the tools, but. He put his head so far up his ass, he, he needed a glass stomach to see where he could go. So, <laughs> so he, he, Alex Silva, in an interview, says him being hired by TNA was a rib on you. How do you feel about no. that? No, no, not at all. And it's funny how people will have a different, you know, view or perception based on their either what little information they have or total lack of information they have and uh that was not a rib on me at all um in any manner um you know alex had an opportunity and he completely pissed it away he went to you know we i helped i created with tna a a developmental program with ovw at the time uh alex was placed there and he just stuffed his head up his butt and you know just blew it it was, you know, and the hardest thing, and I think, you know, Sean will agree, the hardest thing for us to ever accept as people, as human beings, but especially as wrestlers, is that is to take responsibility for oh, our mistakes. Oh, Lord. That's a, we could go another hour on that one, Al. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Oh, and, you know, so it's easy for Alex. But ours. Yeah, but it's easy for Alex in his head to say that it was, you know, him getting hired was a rib on me, but it wasn't. It was Alex took an opportunity 
cut that promo that changed Ric Flair's mind, and he had the ball. He could yeah. have, at that point, he could have done anything, and he could have been made into a, a talent, you know, money drawn talent. And he just shit the bed. Yeah, he did. Sorry to hear that. Yeah, yeah. All that hard work, man, and that's your big chance. When does another that's chance it. like that come along? Almost never, yeah. never. never. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. It's a shame too, you know, and I try to tell, you know, you try, you try to tell guys, you know, and, and, and not in subtle or uh, cause I'm not real good with, you know, that Sorry, I, I just come right out and say it. I'm yes. like, look, you need to smarten up. You, you blow this. You'll, you probably will never get this chance again. Please for your own sake, smarten up, man. And take advantage of it. And you, they just, you know, guy, some guys won't listen. They just, no. It's not there. And they're all, and I was all, one of those guys. I was one of those guys too. I didn't, you know, uh, you know, I remember very distinctly. I had a match with two cold Scorpio, you know, it was flash funk. And I had it on a pay-per-view <laughs> in Florida and, and Vince was really impressed with it. And, you know, and, uh, and I was so frustrated and, and whatever it was at the end of the leaf Cassidy run. Yes. And, you know, uh, Sean Michael, you know, Sean came to me and talked to me and, but vaguely, you know what I mean? And I'm and I'm just and I didn't listen. I spoke all the time, and then the same Bruce then came and talked to me and vaguely, but I didn't listen. I spoke all the time, and I'm like, man, if I'd have just shut up and listened, things would have been totally. Different. I get the, I get this in one of my pet peeves, and I call it the Abbott and Costello. It's, <laughs> it's you know when you tell the guy something, he's like, "Yeah, but this, yeah, but that." How about just shut the f up and listen to what I say and just go, "Yes, yes sir. sir." That would probably and, be the best response, even if you disagree with me. Just shut the and, f up and say and yes. Genuine, genuinely listen. Genuinely listen. Yes. Don't just hear what a person's saying. Genuinely listen. I, I, that's a. I've come to realize I've gotten older. That is the like the most important thing, and I try so hard to work on it. You know, I don't try to have a conversation, and the whole time that the other person's talking, I'm not. I try not to sit there and just formulate what my answer is going to be. I literally try to listen to what the other person says. Mm. You know, as opposed to just hearing them so that I can now respond. Mm-hmm. You know. Well, that's good advice, Al. I think that's a <laughs> that's a good note to go out on. Yeah, can I ask okay. one more question? Of, of course. course you can, okay. Jimbo. Sure. So I'm a big big fan of Beyond the Mat, and in Beyond the Mat, you say Vince McMahon never followed through on giving you the opportunity to achieve your yeah. goals. Was there any repercussion from what you said in that documentary? Well, there probably should have been, yeah, because I was a complete idiot and an asshole. I should never have said that. That was that was me being, uh, you know, Honest an Alex Silva. About how you That's, felt? Well, but that was that was me being Alex Silva. It was me, you know, uh, because every time I, you know, I was being put on TV and I was get, you know, so yeah, I was being given opportunities. It was just, it was. I'm pointing the finger at everybody else and not at myself That's because, right. you know, no matter what anybody says, you know, you go out in the ring, they, there's nothing anyone can do to help you get over. And there's nothing anyone can do to keep you from getting over. You know, yeah. they can make it more difficult for you. They can make it more challenging, but they can't stop you. All the, all the people out there that think it's everybody else's fault for their failures in the industry. Any words to them? That, uh, <laughs> when you, you step in the ring, there's nothing that anyone can do to keep you from getting over. And there's nothing that anyone can do to help you get over. It's 100% on you. Treat it like it's a commercial, like you're a product. 
and you're out there doing everything you can to th- treat it like this. In, in, in TNA, a 30-second commercial, and I know that when, when I was with WWE, a 30-second commercial, 30 seconds of airtime for WWE or TNA at that time, WWE, yeah. was 50 grand, right? Yep. So I get, they give you a six-minute match. They've invested $300,000 in you. Instead of you looking at it like it's their $300,000, look at it like it's your $300,000. Imagine that if you do what you need to do, whatever it is, whatever it takes for you to do what you need to do to make your $300,000 back plus do it. Whether they tell you to do it or they don't tell you to do it or whatever, that's your chance that's your opportunity and no matter what they tell you in the back they can't help you once you step through that curtain nobody can help you you're all on your own and nobody can hinder you except for the guy that's in the ring with you and even then if if the guy wants to be a dead ass and doesn't want to get up for you when you go to bump him then stop bumping him and think of something else to do you know but it's all on you you live and die on you and, it, and don't fool yourself. Don't, oh, well, this, you know, there's this glass ceiling and this and that. Well, then go out there and get yourself over to where they can't ignore yeah. you, you know. Get you a hammer and break that glass ceiling. And break that glass ceiling. Yes. You know, the, the insanity of this, of, of this idea that Vince, you know, doesn't want every single guy that's on his roster to get over as much as possible is crazy because Vince is a businessman who wants to make as much money yes. as he possibly can. Because yeah. the more successful every guy is on the roster, the more successful Vince is. And you don't think he doesn't want that? He does, just if nothing else for himself. You know, yes. but guys, they, they they don't think in those terms. Now, now, now Vince might have a different idea on how that works, but doesn't right. mean he doesn't want exactly what you just said, Al. So. But and he may have a completely different idea. Yes. But at the end of the day, it's not Vince's responsibility to do it. It's yours. But it is his company, and so whatever he says goes. Like I mean, just it, but yeah. you know what though? You know, Steve. You know, everybody uses it as an example. But Steve Austin was not positioned or was meant to That's be right. where Steve Austin yeah. went, and he went there and became that because he took a chance and went out and cut a promo yeah. during what everybody thinks this is the PG era. The big PJ era was was back in the, the in your house days. Oh yeah, and for him to come out and say, you know, Steve Austin three sixteen means I just kicked your ass, and the word ass, oh my god, you yeah. you couldn't say that, and for him to say that to make that impression and to take it on his own, you know, he took a chance yeah. that could have gotten him cut loose, you know, released. But, but that's it what it's resulted about, in a man. hell of a run. We have to take chances. The people that don't take chances, I don't think actually do a lot of really good shit in their lives, Al. They don't. They don't. And you know what, you know, Sean, you know, the the the, the I think the downfall besides the the degradation of 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 wrestling because of the freedom to get into it now. The the availability for anybody that wants to go be, like you said, a cosplayer. Yep. Um, the other problem is the guaranteed or even downside guaranteed contracts, because now guys treat this as if it's a job and it's not a job. It never has been and never will be. You're not working at Walmart. 
It's not you're entitled to something because of time served. Right. You are either the thing that sells tickets or you're one of the things that helps sell tickets. There is no third option. If you don't serve one of those two purposes, you're gone. And if if you don't approach it like that and you approach it like it's a job and the, the mindset of making it like it's a job is because these guys get these these downside guaranteed contracts or these guaranteed contracts or like the independent guys who go, you know what? I'm not going to leave my house unless I get paid X amount of dollars. Well, then well, you might not end up leaving your house very often. <laughs> yeah. As long as you know it, that. It, you know, it, I put your name on a poster. How many tickets are you going to sell me right. at $10 a ticket? Yeah. Well, that, that that don't matter. You know, I, I deserve to get paid this because I'm good. What? I don't care how good you are. If your name is not going to generate an income, a ticket sale, then you're not worth anything. You're only worth what your name could potentially draw and that's what tv is instrumental for and if you don't use tv as such and take those chances and those opportunities when you're on tv to make yourself that person you're just doing it you're 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 really whether you win or lose you're a job guy yep words of wisdom from al snow i hope you all are listening (laughs) yeah we had a lot of those today taking lots of notes (laughs) thank you so much al hey you you just spent quite a bit of time with us man and our time is the most valuable thing we have and i appreciate you giving some to us and everyone listening oh i i I appreciate you guys having me on i really do i i feel very uh very honored very privileged and and flattered the, guys, the honor is ours, Al. The honor is ours, absolutely, hundred percent. And uh, anything, any last words before we go? No. Well, there's. Is there I, anywhere you're appearing, or anything you want to tell the people to come out and see anytime soon? Uh, well, we'll uh, be live tomorrow night for TNA in Orlando, Florida, and then we'll be taping TV for the next uh, seven days there in Universal Studios. And then, if anybody wants to check me out, they can see me at the Real Al Snow on Facebook and. The Real Al Snow on Instagram and Twitter and Al Snow Academy is also on Instagram and Twitter and Facebook. And uh, we are finally getting the website up at alsnowacademyuk.com. And um, um, we're starting our uh, winter term uh, after here next week after the holidays have all gotten done. Finally, we're back getting back up and running. So if you want to check that out, we're in London and Croydon outside of uh, London there have a big beautiful facility with two rings and uh, there's a uh, huge 6,000 square foot weightlifting gym next door that we have access to and because um, that is we, part of uh, the gig like you got to actually look the part <laughs> you get, you, yeah surprisingly you have to actually look like yeah. you make your living athletically mm-hmm. so <laughs> yeah. well we will check it out thank you so much Al we really appreciate it awesome uh, thank you guys very much I do appreciate it yeah thanks yeah well and thank we'll you. talk to you sometime soon okay thanks uh, bye bye you, you guys take love care thanks is great Oh, that wow. That that stuff. was awesome. And we will be back shortly with more X-Pac 12360. Hey, guys. Maria Menounos here. We want to let you know about my new show on Sirius XM Stars Channel 109. It's called Conversations with Maria, and it's live Monday through Friday at 10 a.m. Pacific, 1 p.m. Eastern. Go to conversationswithmaria.com for more info. Buzz you later. Welcome back to Xbox 12360 on AfterBuzz TV. We just had a chat with Al Snow. It couldn't have been better. Literally couldn't have been better. I learned so much. Did you? Yeah. yeah. And I love that. And he spent, what did he spend, over an hour and two a half? Two hours. Almost two hours. Almost two hours, hours of his yeah. time with us. And, um, <laughs> like, you know, 
We people, appreciate that. You know, people give a half an hour or something, and that's a long interview these days. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'm just really grateful, you know, some of the guys are able to come on here and spend over an hour of their time with us. And it Pretty went cool. so fast. Yeah. That was fantastic. I, I couldn't believe, like, we got a cue, like, hey, it's been an hour and 45. <laughs> and I'm like, What? Oh my God. <laughs> so fantastic. That was great. And uh, good thing I had my bulletproof coffee with. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, last week I spilled a cup of coffee in my uh, in my laptop backpack. Oh. Yeah. And uh, so no more after buzz coffee <laughs> mugs for me. But thankfully bulletproof coffee sent me some really cool stuff and one of them was this thermos. So little little plug for bulletproof coffee. They're they great. saved you. Oh yeah, saved but your their laptop. Stuff is amazing though. I love it. Uh, the end of every interview. We've always had a great interview, but there's still so much we could talk about. Like yeah. we didn't talk about you and him both tag with Marty Janetti and both yes. tag with Kane, and yeah. there's just so much more to talk about. So we always have reoccurring guests. Yeah, and and you know there were some things that like you were talking about the Smoky Mountain stuff with with uh, Kane when he was the Unabomber. Yeah. Uh, is that how they called it? Unibomb. I know it was something Just after Unibomb. Unibomb. Right. I was like, that's not was, quite right. But, right. but uh, <laughs> uh, so there was just some things, and, and we talked earlier, and you know, you said that he had talked about a lot of that stuff in other uh, interviews, and not as much about the ECW stuff. So I'm glad we got into a little bit of that today. Yeah, we're not trying yeah. to give people the same stories they've heard elsewhere. Right. We're trying to be exclusive. We are very exclusive of here at Xbox One Two Three Sixty, but still relatable and friendly. And if you want to reach out to us on social media or anywhere else, please give us a thumbs up. Like our Facebook page, facebook.com slash XPOC12360. You can also follow us on Instagram for special pics and videos of behind the scenes here. That's at XPOC12360. You can always hit me up exclusively. You know I love the juicy news. If you've got some scoop or you have any questions for me, it's at Christy Reports on Twitter, Instagram, and Snapchat. Jimbo, where can they hit you up at? Follow me on Twitter at Jimbo in the booth. Buy my Young Bucks documentary, The Young Bucks Too Sweet Journey, at highspots.com. Check out Pacific Coast Wrestling. They have a show January 20th. Their main event is Rob Van Dam versus Willie Mack. Oh, great. Yeah. You're not going to want to miss that. Yeah. And I'm supposed to be somewhere this weekend, too. Where's yeah, that don't, don't worry about it. We'll send you where you're supposed to go to Bedford, Texas for Metroplex Wrestling. And if you guys want to check that out, they're at MPX. At MPX Wrestling. At MPX Wrestling. Yes. And you can catch me on Twitter at The Real X-Pac. On Instagram at X-Pac. At Real X-Pac. Real X-Pac, Not yep. the. So, and uh, everything's great. Everything Love is bad. This guys. was a great start to 2017. Thank you all for joining us. Yeah. Yes. You guys have a wonderful week. And uh, who's who we have next week? Uh, we don't know yet. Okay. It's a big surprise. Actually, well, I we know, but you guys don't know. Yeah. All right. See you all next week. Love you guys. Adios. From executive producers Maria Menounos, Phil Svitek, Kevin Undergaro, show producer Jimbo Frank, managing editor of AfterBuzz Wrestling, Christy Olsen, and managing producer of AfterBuzz Wrestling, Mark Bidonica, and the entire Xbox 12360 staff, we would like to thank you for tuning in. Feel free to like us on Facebook, rate and comment on iTunes and YouTube, follow Xbox on Twitter at TheRealXbox, and email us at xbox1236show at gmail.com. This has been a presentation of the AfterBuzz TV network. Buzz you later!